Good evening, everybody. Welcome to a very special episode of the Fred Hampton Hidden Sweets. Where we finally talk about the thing that we've been threatening to do this whole time. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to organize. It's happening. And we have a very special guest here to make sure that by the end of this, everyone here will be able to organize. I am so excited to bring on Rika Hires. Rika, go ahead and unmute yourself. Welcome to, back to the Fred Hampton Inn and Suites. How are you? Oh, assuming... Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Awesome. Okay, cool. <laughs> so good to be here. Yeah, yeah. So glad to have you. I'm really, really uh, excited to do this. You know, it'll be nice to actually have something practical for people to do, uh, as opposed to just always saying we're going to organize. That's right. That's right. And what is more practical? In my, well, there's nothing more practical, in my opinion, than actually organizing your union. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Rico, I don't know if everyone knows your history with them. Um, you've sort of been a uh, comes to organizing unions in the past. So why don't you kind of lay down some of your credentials and uh, talk about why you wanted to do this episode? My credentials, I guess that makes me part of the PMC, right? By I, I don't know. <laughs> it, it makes you perfect, Rico. That's what it makes you, okay? Don't worry about so, the titles after that. Right. Well, I so I started organizing. Um, I mean, I feel like I've been organizing my entire life. Really, I mean, I started organizing in high school, doing some like community protest stuff there. But I really got into uh, union organizing in 2016 on a campaign to organize faculty at the University of Minnesota. That was kind of my big entry into uh, the labor movement. Um, and it was a huge, huge campaign that ultimately was not that successful, but I learned an incredible amount of information both on the process of how to form a union, but also uh, what works, what doesn't work. Um, and kind of took some of those lessons with me into a uh, position that I had at the another local called the Minnesota Newspaper and Communications Guild there, where I worked with a diverse array of workers from uh, small nonprofit publications to nonprofits themselves to interpreters uh, who worked in a hospital um, in Minnesota. So I, I, I and in, in, in working there at that local, I worked on a variety of different types of campaigns from running worker-led campaigns that already had a bargaining unit to running campaigns with like 10 different nonprofits <laughs> throughout throughout the pandemic um, who were interested in organizing a union. 
Um, and then I also worked with some folks who were uh, who were unable to organize a union, but were interested in organizing as workers. They were independent contractors, um, independent contractors that did interpretation for the Minnesota Judicial Branch. And we worked to establish with them a unionized co-op um, that ended up pushing for uh, some wage increases uh, with the Minnesota Judicial Branch. So I kind of had my hands in a lot. Yeah, um, a lot of pots. And, yeah, a lot of different pots. But my favorite, my favorite, favorite part of all of that was organizing um, new unions and new shops. So, yeah. Well, you might just have one more that you've organized here, or maybe, who knows, hundreds of more will come from this podcast. Who, who's to say? That's who's the hope. That's yeah. The hope. <laughs> It'd be pretty bitching. It'd be pretty cool. I like it. Well, uh, you know, uh, I guess before we get into everything, how uh, everything sound okay? Could, you can hear me and we're, we can just, we're all good. I've been having like audio issues with this app lately, so. Yeah, I, um, I can hear you perfectly perfectly well and I am I'm doing this from my computer it's the first time I'm doing this from my computer because I've also been having glitches with the app on the phone where it like kicks me off so I'm, I'm sticking with this so if there's any issues uh, uh, I'll let you know okay okay that sounds good and uh, uh, Jonathan's on strike for listening to this with no pay uh, <laughs> first of all you should be paying us okay you should be paying Rika for all this free shit she's about to put down but we're doing it out of the kindness of our hearts and I'm so excited so let's we have this whole outline we, we really planned this one out so why don't we just start with the beginning with the NLRA just the basics as to what what are the laws to organizing a union and who can organize a union yeah yeah, this is a good one. So we, I think it's important to start here because um, even though it's kind of boring and slightly tedious, uh, but it's important history and information. So if you want to know who can organize and why, it's the National Labor Relations Act. It really kind of sets out um, historically who's been able to organize and, and where to go from there. Um, and so really to kind of the TLDR version of it, though, um, folks who can't organize a union are, uh, you know, independent contractors, right? Uh, it's kind of seen as like forming a trust um, based off of how it was written. Employees in agricultural farms. Uh, if you're a supervisor, uh, you can't form a union with the people you supervise, um, but you actually can form a union with your fellow supervisors, which is interesting. Oh my God, um, a PMC <laughs> union. It's great. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, there is a there is a category of like confidential employees, and this this is something that is um, is very difficult and has come up even in my campaigns. Where uh, you know some people who maybe like work with HR may or may not be um, allowed to be in a union. They're not necessarily supervisors, but they do kind of like HR adjacent stuff. So. Sometimes those employees can be in. Uh, most of the time, those employees are usually out of uh, whatever the bargaining unit is at right. their level. Um, and then we have domestic employees. Um, that's why you got things like the Domestic Workers Alliance doing amazing work. Um, and then there's uh, <laughs> those with blood relations with employers or other conflicts of interest. So I think that one was. <laughs> yeah, that one is interesting. You know, like it would be very funny to be like the a uh, child of a capitalist pig and try to organize a union there. 
just to be like, fuck you, dad. Fuck you, dad. <laughs> well, I mean, it also yeah. helps us, you know, identify who are, you know, the, the lineage of the capitalists, right? Who right. Go after the big, the big win. Right. Um, yeah. But I, so I think just like for those who might have just been like, what, what did Rika just say? The, the, the big one that you want to think about is, are you a supervisor? And there's like specific right. language um, that, you know, you have the ability to, you have to have the ability to independently hire and fire and direct other workers um, when you do. And so I think that's something that you uh, will have to like really, really consider um, exploring and getting clear with before you start your campaign. That's kind of like the big one to look out for. Right. Yeah. So that's all good stuff. But for the most part, um, if you are a worker, if you are an actual employee and not an independent contractor, then most of the time you can unionize. That's um, right. Yes. What we're talking about are the exceptions, not the rule. So keep that in mind. Assume first that you can organize and then either look at the National Labor Relations Act or uh, if you're wearing overalls and you're a farmer, I'm sorry, you cannot organize at that point. But uh, the the it's safe to just assume, unless you're an independent contractor, that you can organize, unless you're an independent contractor or a supervisor, basically. Uh, yeah, yeah, so. good point. Good point. Yeah. yeah. And um, oh, there was a, there was something you mentioned that I was going to pick up on with the related to. Well, you can always organize, right? Let's right. You can always organize, but in terms of forming a union specifically, right? Formally organizing you that's something that we want to just make sure there's a distinction. So. Yeah. And Schnarf, we will get to right to work laws, um, but that is a great I, question. I, I, I promise you, we will get to right to work laws. Um, I, yeah, like, but almost right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, why why don't you take us about the uh, take us to the next session, Rika? What, what what are we talking about? Yeah, so you know we talked about uh, the NLRA kind of defines who can organize, um, but then we have kind of divisions within that in terms of the public sector versus private sector. Um, so public sector unions are considered unions that are if you're employed by the federal government or um, the state uh, in which you reside, right? You have to be an employee of some type of agency or something like that. Um, private sector, you know, the corporations, um, but this also includes nonprofits. A lot of people, a lot of people think that nonprofits fall under uh, like the public sector for some reason because the profits don't go the way that the profits are distributed are, is really interesting. But no, they're they're a corporation actually. It's a five hundred one c three usually. So right. Um, so yeah, public sector versus private sector, that's kind of how we usually understand the lay of the land. And the reason why we kind of, di you know, divide those out too, besides, you know, who's the employer and who's not, um, there's this thing called right to work, um, which is really right to work for less. Right. Um, and the biggest thing about right to work legislation and the um, kind of decision, court decision that came out, I want to say it was about like maybe three or four years ago now at this point, was uh, Janice. Um, which basically says that if you're in a public sector, um, you're a public sector employee, and you're in a union, you do not have to pay union dues, but you are covered by the contract. And the union has an obligation to um, basically represent you. And so why is this an issue? So, um, the, you know, union dues are the backbone of the economic support for a union. 
Right. And Think of them as the, the, the mutual aid for the union, right? Ex- yes. There is yes. no money for the union, but for union dues. So imagine yes. going against capitalist powers and it's just you and all your broke friends. It's going to be difficult, you know? So yes. the union dues, the mutual aid of uh, unions, but keep going. No, that's, that's, that's absolutely right. It's a beautiful uh, description, actually. And, you know, we usually in organize, we talk about organized money and organized people, right? And so part of the organized money piece is the union dues. And without them, you can't, you, you really can't do the deep organizing work that you like the support, you don't have the support for uh, a paid organizer to help you with the work, you don't have support for uh, paid, um, if you're going to file a grievance, and you want to take it to arbitration, you then kind of have to like pass the hat around to whoever can give that money, right? So dues are like really, really important structurally to help do the work of the union. So this uh, right to work legislation really um, cripples, uh, or I should say not cripples, but hinders uh, union's ability to, to do that work by, because people will often just opt out. So you often regularly have to get people to elect to opt in. Um, to those union dues in a public sector. Right. And that's an issue. And that can continue to be an issue in the future. And these are uh, stuff like this. This is more like broad level um, uh, problems that we can encounter from basically a capitalist structure that is trying to weaken unions and make it harder to unionize. Uh, So these are policy things. Again, you don't have to know all of this. This isn't going to necessarily make you better at organizing a union, but I guess you don't need us to tell you that um, there are laws out there and ways that uh, there are wider policy goals for people who have capitalist power who are trying to make this more and more difficult. So just be aware, be aware, because I I do think that one of the important parts that we're going to get into as we really talk about the step by step of how you organize a union is be ready to fight. Um, this, you will encounter some opposition and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into that some more, but, um, the, the other distinction between, I guess, um, uh, private, the private sector and the public sector is that the, they are actually, uh, whenever you have a union dispute or a dispute with an employer, uh, they are, uh, basically arbitrated. So there's a different judge or a different group of judges who oversee both cases. Uh, So in the private sector, the National Labor Relations Board is the board that is in charge of hearing cases and union disputes with employers. Public sector, it's the public education, uh, I'm sorry, public employee relations board. Um, So, and there, there could be some differences between the two of these. Is that right, Riga? Yes, absolutely. So if you're in the private sector, right, you, if, and this will be late, relevant for when we later talk about your kind of the overall plan to win. But if you're going to file for an election, right, you're going to, and you're in the private sector, you're filing with the National Labor Relations Board. And just like you said, Byte, if you have any disputes that need to go um, uh, within, within your campaign, you're filing ULPs with the National Labor Relations Board. Whereas if you're in a public sector, you're going to be doing it at the state level of the public employee relations board. So, um, so it's just different bodies that you have to direct those kind of, you know, particular uh, steps to, uh, but they is in essence function very similarly. And it's also important just to kind of know as we, as we're, you know, we can throw out a lot of acronyms here. 
um, like I said, ULP, that means unfair labor practice, right? Yeah. Um, and so we want to just make it. M-I-L-F is another yes. one. <laughs> yes, what exactly. we aspire, what we aspire to be. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. And in the question and answer portion, you know, if, you, if you're confused about something that one of these acronyms are thrown out, just, you know, uh, keep it in your back pocket. We'll, we'll get to it. Uh, I guess the last thing with the, that, that I would say with just going back to right to work, uh, just generally speaking, we don't need to get into every little bit of right to work, but right to work is one of those things like the Patriot Act, which is it's named something that sounds like it's going to be beneficial to you, uh, that it's giving you some kind of right to work when really it's taking away your, it's trying to take away your rights to unionize and trying to take away your ability to, to actually um, collectively organize and, and bargain against your employer. Uh, in the same way the Patriot Act is all about spying on you and, you know, surveillance. So, um, I don't know. Just, I just want to mention it because I think that's super sneaky. Not really that important, but really sneaky. And, and, uh, you know, just, it's icky. Anyway. (laughs) Well, and I, I think the other thing to think about, and I think someone in the chat mentioned this too, is that public sector is also divided by local, state, federal. Yes, absolutely. Right. And then, and then sometimes too, as like for, in the instance when I was at the University of Minnesota, and state statute might define what uh, bargaining units there are uh, already. So you kind of have it clearly defined who you have to organize and what constitute what would constitute a bargaining unit, which is interesting because in most cases when you're organizing, you have to define your community of interest, uh, which is basically say, this is who we, this is who the union will cover, right? But in some cases, that's already written out in the law. So that's just an important thing to think about. Uh, when you're considering organizing the public sector as well. Yeah, it's a great point. That's a great point. So um, let's do uh, the next section we were going to get into is the laws about organizing the union. Uh, I wonder if we should just get into the how first or. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's get we can the get how. to let's the get laws the later. Stuff. Let's go. Yeah, <laughs> let's do some how. Y'all came yeah. here for a reason. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so when I, when I talk to folks about this thing on a broad level here, and it's, it sounds, it sounds like I'm going to be contradicting myself, but it's a, forming a union is actually a very straightforward process, broadly speaking and on paper. And what I mean by that is, you know, first you gather, you know, you, you, you want to form a union, you talk to your coworkers, um, and you're, you know, on the on the down low about it. And then your first goal is to build toward majority support, getting as many people on board as possible. You then go public, you demand voluntary recognition from your employer, or you file for an election, depending on what the response is. You then win that election, meaning you need a simple majority to vote in favor of forming a union. And then you negotiate and ratify your first contract. Once you negotiate and ratify your first contract, you will have your union. Now, officially, technically, you will have a recognized union after your election or voluntary recognition. But we like to encourage people to think through and beyond that because you don't really get any of the rights, privileges, or benefits from your union until you have your your contract 
establishing exactly your working conditions in terms of employment. So right, re- right, yeah. So building majority support, going public, demanding more, uh, volunteer recognition, filing for an election, winning the election, and negotiating and ratifying your first contract. That's the process in like a one thousand foot level. Right, right. And I I do love that you put such an emphasis, Rika, on the negotiating and ratifying your first contract, because it reminds me of uh, something Dr. Dre has said, which is anyone can make a million dollars. The hard part is keeping it, motherfucker. So (laughs) when it comes to you can make your union, what is the union for? Negotiate and ratify that contract. Get the rights for which you made the union in the first place. And uh get run all the way through the finish line. So, uh, should, so, okay. We have the, the big sort of picture here, the big skeleton. Uh, should we get down into the, the nitty gritty details? Say you are, say you are you and you're working in a Starbucks, for example, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you know, Howard Schultz or whatever his name is just really sucks. And your hours are shit and your pay is bad and your benefits are going down and you can tell that you're, fellow coworkers are getting pretty disgruntled. What do you start doing when we talk about building majority report uh, or support for the, for the union? What exactly are we talking about? Like, how do you, how would you start that process, Rika? Yes. Oh, such beautiful question. So first we got to figure out who's in and who's out. You really can't start building and working toward building majority support in your workplace until you figure out who is actually going to be in this goddamn union, right? Mm-hmm. You got You got to do that. And so what you need to do is you need to get a list of all employees that you think would be in the bargaining unit. Yeah, the and, cool people, the cool employees. Yeah. <laughs> who's who's cool, you know? <laughs> right. And I mean, I think it, they're, they're, they're going to be cool because they'll be eligible. But I think, you know, one of the things that this part is, is not to really be overlooked or rushed through at all. Um, yeah. You have to really be diligent about this part because sometimes, especially like in my experience with the nonprofit sector, uh people have these kind of quasi um uh what do you say like supervisory roles but they're not actually supervisors what i mean is that they they'll they'll probably be like a lead of some kind or um a man they'll have manager in the title but they actually don't have the ability to independently hire and fire people and the level of direction of a work of, of, of that they give to other employees regarding their work is very very minimal right so that's why it's important to really go through and get a list of everyone and, and, and really think through who would potentially be in and out based off of what we talked about of can and can't form a union, starting from the premise that you as an employee can organize, but if you're a supervisor or a manager, that's going to probably exclude you from being in the union. Right. Right. And, and in, in these early stages, uh, when you're organizing or you're trying to figure out who can be in and who can be out, uh, it's important to be very sneaky to some extent, Absolutely. right? Just to, because look, it is illegal for an employer to fire you for attempting to organize a union, but guess what? Management doesn't anyway. They do it all the time. They'll give you some other bullshit reason for firing you, especially if you're in a, a, a jurisdiction that is at will employment, which basically means they can fire or right. hire 
at any time for any reason yeah. at all or no reason. That's right. So if you if they find out you are organizing a union and you come into work and they say, oh, I don't like the color of your shoes today, you're fired. That is fine. Right. And in yeah. these early stages where you don't have the support of your fellow workers uh, because you haven't been able to build that majority support yet, you are most vulnerable. Is that is that fair to say, Rika? Uh, that's an excellent, brilliant point, Brian. You want to make sure that and the, and the goal is, is you shouldn't feel ashamed. You're not doing anything technically illegal. But right. the reality, the reality is, is we live in a society where power there's a huge major power imbalance in our workplaces and our bosses like to be bossing and they will and and this is a huge forming a union is a huge threat to their their power and their ability to be a boss and to dictate terms and conditions yeah being being very very judicious about keeping things on the dl um and kind of the way the way that we do that is you know there are many strategies for doing that many you know, there's a lot of tools out there now for like group messaging, encrypted messaging, conversations that you can use, um, you know, uh, but the other thing is just having one-on-one -on -one conversations is going to be really important and making sure that, you know, you're talking to the right people and you're having, you're having people have the right conversations with the right people. So that's really important. But the, but to just back it up again, you know, the bottom line is our first, first step is we gotta, we gotta get a list of people, um, together and uh figure out who's going to be in and who's out and really get clear about who what our uh bargaining unit's going to look like we have to become santa claus baby we got to make a list <laughs> we got to check it twice we got to find out who's uh you know who's a snitch and who's not it's basically what it yes. comes down to right <laughs> but make the list and 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 again in these planning stages i I think, Rika, it's very, very important to, it doesn't necessarily, it's not something you want to rush through. Um, it doesn't mean you want to be here forever, but this is where you have to get a little uh, a little bit uh, little finger with it, you know, a little bit Game of Thronesy. Pretend you are not, you know, King, I don't know, who, Viserys or whoever's in it now. Pretend you're, you know, um, who's the new guy, the new Master of Whispers, uh, Larys Strong. Pretend you're, you know, either Varys the Spider or Larys Strong. Uh, you don't have to do everything Larys does. Uh, spoilers, I'm not going to say them, but uh, spend some time here. This is your strategic planning pre-moves in chess uh, in building the majority support. Right, and you can't form a union until you figure out who's going to be in it. <laughs> like, right. That's simple too, right? You know, you got to know, gotta know who, who, who's going to be in and who's out, so... Um, but and, and and Jonathan, sorry, one uh, Jonathan, I see your question down there. We will actually get into how you file for an election. Uh, we'll we'll move on to that uh, in just a moment, and where you file it, all of that. You're getting all of it today. But uh, Rika, go ahead. Yeah. So, in in the process of doing this, kind of you're building your list. You're also going to be getting informing kind of a what we call an organizing committee, which is just kind of a group of people who are really going to be responsible for holding down the campaign and really uh, making calling the shots and strategic directions of your campaign so as you go about getting this list of people together you're going to start reaching out to some people usually starting with your relationships and people you know who you can trust and trying to get them on board to form this organizing committee um and, and this this is important because uh this 
cannot be done with just one person. It is impossible. Uh, I have not seen a union campaign where it was just literally one person going around having all the conversations with everyone in their workplace. While um, we hold up Chris Smalls and this amazing, valiant effort to organize Amazon, we know even from this story that it was multiple people having multiple conversations, right? So yep. forming that organizing committee is super, super important. Yeah. And and you would form this organizing committee uh, the same way that you would build majority support or build up your support for the union, right? So trying to get one-on-one conversations, trying to uh, identify people who have uh, a commu- what you put as a community of interest with you, right. uh, who are in very similar positions in uh, the workplace, who stand to gain uh, through collective action as much as you do. Uh, That's right. That's okay. right. And what you and what form this organizing committee is you're you're going to start mapping out even more who is who who do we need to get in who do we who do we need to talk to. Um, and who do we need to get their kind of uh, vote of approval for this union, right? So, so I'm going to back up for a second. When are how the method, the kind of thing that we have in our um, organizing campaigns to both uh, track and record support, um, but also use as, uh, as part of like this, the bureaucratic process for filing an election, are these things called union authorization cards. And we also have a petition of support demanding for a union to be recognized, right? So those two things are really important. Um, the union authorization cards, most union, most established unions kind of have like a pre-made version of that, that, you know, they kind of print out and make. Um, there are specific things that have to be on it uh, to be considered a union authorization card. Um, and I think you have, you'll have to check on the laws in your state and uh, in terms of like what is eligible in terms of electronic signatures or not. But the whole point is, is you need to have these cards that you're going to take with you to have individual one-on-one conversations with people that will then sign those cards at the end of them, basically saying they are in favor of support of forming a union and, and um, will... Uh, you will vote yes in an election, right? It, the vote yes part isn't necessarily on the card, but that's part of the conversation you're having. And then the petition of support is something that you want them to sign as well. It's kind of just a, it's a separate document, but it, it will basically uh, be presented publicly when you all go public with your campaign um, that says that you're you're willing and you want this union. You, you are in favor of forming a union and this is the who you're going to unionize with and this is the union that you're forming. Right, um, right. Yeah, and yeah. For, the, for the union authorization cards too, uh, don't what state or what place that you're trying to organize this in. And I guarantee you, if you just type in union authorization cards for, I don't know, California, for Illinois, yes. you'll be able yeah. to find plenty of examples of these. Um, yeah. And typically they just say something like the underside employee of whatever company and then the address of the company authorizes what name is going to be to represent me as exclusive, uh, I don't know, like collective bargaining agent. Uh, yep. They're not super complicated. You can find them. So do not let the this term union authorization card 
somehow like deter you from doing it. It's not that complicated. You'll find examples. There are plenty of resources out there. Google is a, a good way to find these. And uh, Rika, you were talking about the petition of support. Like, yeah. W- what is yes. that? So that's just, so you, it's just like a separate way of uh, communicating support publicly for your union, um, performing a union. That way you don't have to hand over, you can keep the cards intact uh, and you can keep them to yourself. <laughs> this petition of support basically as a way for you to communicate publicly to the employer and other, other people when you go public about, uh, about the union. And it's important, this, this, this is an important piece because um, the more public you are, the louder you are at that stage, um, uh, the least likely the employer is going to want to mess around with y'all. So having this, this petition that shows, uh, you know, all the people who are supporting this union is going to be really, 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 really important. So speaking of that petition of support, let's, let's say you've been organizing your workplace. You're trying to figure out uh, what, like the minimum number of people you need to show that support is, or let's do two things. We'll do how many is like the minimum of people you need to have on a petition of support in order to form a union versus how many should you have? Yes. So this goes back to why we even need the authorization cards. So the union authorization cards are required in order to file an election with PERB or the NLRB. And according to the laws of this land, you need a minimum, <laughs> a minimum event of those who are considered part of this bargaining unit or community of interest. So that sounds like, oh, a very low threshold and should be easy. Um, however, that is the bare minimum to engage in this process. You really do not file for an election ever, 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 unless you have 80% support, maybe 75, but 80% support for sure. And this is just a practice. This isn't like um, uh, a hard, uh, right. A hard and fast rule. The law, the law is 30%, but uh, if you don't want to get your ass handed to you, uh, much better at 80%. Yes, because um, in this process, your employer is going to say a lot of crazy bullshit lies about the union. And some of y'all have even heard of them with the, with the Starbucks employees, right. Who said that we're, the union is this third party. We're not going to be able to negotiate. Um, we're going to have to always go through this third party on things. And so they're going to say a lot of things that are going to scare a lot of people because a lot of people just don't have experience with unions. And right. that may, so support throughout the campaign may or may not waver and so what you're doing is you're you're giving yourself that padding that room for that wave potential wavering support as you move along this this process so we you know it's it is common practice to have uh, a high 80 percent of your bargaining unit um before you file for an election uh, and yeah yeah and and one thing i'll just add on that when when we talk about trying to have 80 percent support and uh, you know, you might say, why would why would support for the union waiver uh, after we go public? Like, wouldn't it grow? It could. But when Rika's talking about employers will say all kinds of crazy shit to stop a union from happening, to try to convince people who have signed authorization cards to vote no for the union. Uh, there's there's two kind of strategies here or there's two things to really consider. 
And one of them is that there's a lot of stuff that employers cannot do. So these are just acts that are illegal. They cannot force you or tell you that you have to vote no for the union. They cannot, uh, you know, offer certain benefits to non-union employees that they don't also give to union employees. And actually, Starbucks just got in trouble with this. Starbucks announced a, a new student loan repayment tool and savings account program for all U.S. employees who are not union members. These things are illegal. Starbucks cannot do that. However, and here's the kicker, Starbucks will do something and other employers will make a calculation. They will say, look, let's do something illegal. It's going to take some time to get in front of the NLRB. It's going to take some time to get in front of a judge. And by the time we get in front of the judge, the union momentum will already be stopped. We would have already convinced people not to join the union. So they know they're making, they're basically making a calculation that, okay, we'll do something illegal. We'll get in trouble with the law. Maybe we'll have to pay a fine. Maybe we'll have to redo the election or something. But if that's worth it for them, money-wise, to to stop that momentum, they're going to do it. So again, these motherfuckers are playing for the throne, right? They're, they're, they're playing for keeps. So just keep that in mind when, when you're organizing. Um, and speaking of organizing, and let's say we have our 80%, let's say that we are, we have those union authorization cards. We're feeling good. We are ready to go public. Can you kind of walk us through how, how that works, Rika? Absolutely. But before we do that, I just want to, I want to, cause we're, we're moving into a different phase of the campaign now. Um, okay. But before we do that, I just want to wrap something up here really quick. Um, the whole building majority support and figuring and having those one-on-one conversations, right? When in your organizing committee, you, what you're going to do is you are going to power map your workplace. What do I mean by that? You are going to figure out who's in charge, who's connected to who, who could you potentially get support from, maybe in middle management or not, right? You're going to figure out if you need community support to turn up and turn out when you go public. This part of the organizing process is so, so crucial. The reason why is because a lot of people will work for um, uh, big, big, big institutions, big employers, and it can be really confusing who who it is that you're going to have to, uh, uh, you know, demand voluntary recognition from who's ultimately in charge and making decisions um, at your company. And so you're going to want to be able to ascertain that. And if you're working with an organizer who works in your industry, um, they'll have a lot of experience uh, usually around with your industry and figuring out who that is. But typically speaking, it's your CEO, your CFO, or your executive director. Those are the people who you're going to direct the demand for voluntary recognition toward when you go public, right? So, so again, it's important. We got to power map our workplace. We got to figure out who ultimately calls the shots um, in, in your company or in your workplace. The other piece of it is figuring out who's connected to who, right? So when you're going about having these conversations with people, um, you might realize, actually, I don't know that person, but I know James, I know Bide, I know John, they know, they know that person that we're trying to get a hold of. And so we should get them to have this conversation with them to get them support, right? It's that granular kind of detail that you need 
in order to be able to feel not, not only confident, but to actually have a truly successful campaign, right? Getting, getting really clear on who, who ultimately makes calls the shots in your workplace, who's connected to who, and then further, how can you move people uh, who may be reticent to joining the union, right? Are in terms of both the people who are going to be in, but also uh, your supervisors who may or may not want to support you while going public, or people who, like your CEO or your executive directors, may not want to recognize you, you anticipate that they may not want to recognize your union right away. And so, who are the other people that you may need to call on to put pressure on them to do so, right? That could be elected officials, that could be key strategic. Um, community partners, right? right? Organizations or community leaders, right? So I think that's important. In this process of building majority support, you are also analyzing in detail uh, your your workplace or really mapping it out who's connected to who and who can move. Right. I, and because the goal here is to, I think of it almost in terms of trying to go viral, right? That's like right. you. You are trying to get as, you know, you're trying to plan out where these, this union drive is going to have the majority support, where it could potentially hit snags. Uh, And again, I think, I think including uh, community organizations is actually really important here because uh, a big part of actually turning out uh, as we get later down the line, when we talk about the election, when we talk about turnout, when we talk about basically, uh, building, maintaining that majority support all the way through uh, voting to unionize and negotiating and ratifying your first contract. You, you're you trying to, the whole goal is to get as many people talking about this as possible, um, to get newspapers reporting on it. Um, you know, uh, I don't know, celebrities, <laughs> whoever else yeah, can actually yeah. add, you know, like if celebrities can actually add some some eyes to this, it's good too, because here's the other thing. Uh, You may be asking, well, why does it matter if a celebrity cares about it? If you have eyes on the entire unionization process, more people are going to be digging into if the employer's doing some fuck shit as well. It's harder to get away with this bullshit in the light. So all them dirty tricks that people are going to be trying to do, the more eyes are on it, it's better. It's kind of like, you know, why... If you're, you feel like you're going to get mugged, get under some lights, <laughs> you know, like get somewhere where people can see you, dog, because like you need, you want witnesses, but, uh, that's right. No, that's mm-hmm. absolutely right. Biden. That's 100% right. The more eyes that are on your campaign, the better. And that's when we go public. But one, and one last thing I just want to, cause it's important uh, when we're mm-hmm. talking about these conversations that you're having with your coworkers about forming a union, um, it is important that you inoculate them in terms of expectations around what the employer is going to do. And you might be like, well, I've never been in a union campaign, so I have no idea what the employer is going to do. Here's the thing. We have, fortunately, we have documented experience and even recent examples of what employers are likely to do. And in our campaigns, we have when we're having our conversations, we say point blank, you can expect your the employer to say this about union dues, this about uh, third partying us, acting like we're some outside organization, right? We, you can go through and list all these things and know and be confident 
that their your employer is going to say it because it happens in every campaign. Literally every campaign, the employer will say some lies about the union, and it's important for people to kind of have that up front before the right. employer does it, because then when they when the employer does it. It will affirm and further solidify that trust that you know what you're talking about and you know what you're doing. Right. Absolutely. Great point, Rika. I mean, you're you're anticipating the fuck shit that's going to be coming your way. Um, yeah. And getting people, making them understand what is going to be coming is going to be super important. Like, I'll, I'll give you an example of something that, exactly. um, that employers are allowed to do, right? Uh, that can be... Just complete, you know, complete uh, Bush League tactics uh, that that is just trying to just devalue unions as a whole or make them characterize them as, you know, criminal or or bad or anything. But so uh, employers are specifically allowed to disclose the names of known gangsters and other undesirable elements who may have who may be or have been active in the union. Provided that it's accurate information that can be verified by official sources. Okay. So when we're talking about things like calling Chris Smalls, you know, Christian Smalls, like, oh, he's a thug, he's this or that. I mean, imagine if you're someone who had, a, you know, a criminal record or something like that, and they start bringing up, oh, you know, he's a, he spent some time in the, in the brig. He's a criminal. Uh, you don't want to be part of a criminal organization. Th- that's the level of, you got to imagine, okay, we're talking about capitalists trying to protect the extraction of value from their laborers to continue to buy yachts. They're going to do every little dirty trick. So, and I do think if you make people, if you have them anticipate it, they're going to trust you because you told them where this was going to go. You, you, you prepared them for the kind of bullshit that they're going to be seeing. And again, it's, it's your chance to sort of, um, it's what it's like witness preparation or something in a case, right? right? You get yeah. you get someone yeah. acquainted with the conditions of what they're actually going to be going through, what they're going to be asked, and they're better able to confront it because of that preparation. That's right. That's exactly right. And it is about kind of girding everyone's loins, <laughs> so to speak, to get ready for that <laughs> for, to respond. Because well, yeah. because you know, it, it is difficult when again we have so many people in this country who haven't been a part of unions or, you know, we were, have never even had family members who've been a part of unions, right? So people don't understand fully what it means to be in it, what a union is, right? And, you know, to be clear, like when we're having, you know, as an organizer, I'm like trained in how I've gone through like several, you know, hours of training and practice with how to have a one-on-one conversation. And it's a very, very tight it's not it's not scripted but it's a, it's a tight or it's a very very tight organ, uh, organized conversation yeah. yeah for a reason and that the, those conversations are just absolutely critical so if you are working in your with a um, established union it's so important to have your organizer work with you on this one-on-one conversation what it should look like so that we can tailor it to your shop and you can um, anticipate what your what the particular individuals who are in your director roles might say um, in response to your organizing campaign. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I guess a practical example to some extent uh, relates to a lot of things, but this is one of the reasons why you want that core organizational group of the union to, right. 
to be able right. to have this diversity of voices, these ends with people that you don't have ends with, this ability to connect across the collective and bring all of them in. I think one of the smartest things that Christian Smalls did was when he knew he needed, um, you know, there was a large contingent of Africans who worked at uh, the Amazon yes. warehouse, uh, right? Yes. And That's he did not idea. have ends with the Amazon warehouse Africans there. So you had this other group that was not really coming and learning about the union organization effort. This motherfucker organized catering of African foods for these workers for free, to basically give them free food, to give them the opportunity to come in and learn about what it meant to unionize. This, this is genius level shit, okay? Like this yeah. is the stuff that you gotta be thinking of. Uh, and, and one of the places that I believe in my heart because I am, uh, I don't know, I'm like a, a, a romantic, I guess, for this stuff, but I, one of the places where you, you will always have a, an advantage over the employer is you actually understand the working conditions that you're in. You actually understand yes. the, so you can actually understand the people better as a group. The group of you who are organizing can actually relate to the actual conditions which the people face as a group more than your employer ever can. And if you can weaponize that and you and 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 literally uh, cultivate that, uh, then you will be able to build that majority support. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, so well said. Well said, Ryan. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Um, I guess before we move on to the, uh, the going public or the voluntary recognition aspect, anything else that we have to do with the building majority of support aspect? We talked about the union authorization cards, the petition of support, the power mapping, how important it is to form this organization or organizing committee, uh, the c certain kind of tactics and strategies you can use to build that majority support. Anything else that we should say? Yeah, I would just say that, you know, it goes back to your point about what Chris Smalls did, you know, um, in, in this campaign, being, making sure your organizing committee is as representative as possible of your, of your bargaining unit, because mm -hmm. then that way, when you're making these decisions about who to talk to and how to go about doing certain things, you're more likely going to, you know, hit the nail on the head in terms of your, your next most elegant step. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, and Cynthia, you will absolutely be able to call in for questions. I think today, Rika, we're going to uh, do the uh, basically everything of how you organize a union up through the before the election. And then tomorrow, yes. uh, same time tomorrow, we're doing the step by step. How do you organize a union from the election phase onward? So it's going to be two parts. We'll open up for questions. So please uh, stick around for the questions part. Uh, let's move on to the, the next step. We've built majority support. What's yes. next, Rika? Oh, the most exciting part. Yes. Um, we are going public, folks. We are going public campaign. We're going to be demanding voluntary recognition. Um, this, is, this part is the most exciting part. And uh, it is also... It can also be one of the most exhilarating and anxiety-inducing parts because what we usually do is we have a march on the boss where we find out where the boss is and we present 
a public letter petition, the one that you've had everyone sign, of support for forming the union, and you demand that they voluntarily recognize the union. Um, and this is like an actual in-person encounter. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, you, you can do it over Zoom as we have in uh, various campaigns that I've been on, especially during the pandemic with some of the nonprofits that I was helping organize. We definitely did it on Zoom. And you're going to develop some type of way to manage that, that online activity through your organizing committee. But the point is, is that this is the moment where you confront your, you know, the kind of chief decision maker. Yeah. Um, and you demand that they voluntarily recognize you. Yep. You roll up. This is the point where That's you get right. to roll up <laughs> and squat up and roll up, baby. That's it. Yes. Yes. So, and it is. Go ahead, Zaid. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say, uh, I, no, you you go. It sounds like you're going to say something juicy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just going to say it's one of the most, in my experience, one of the most powerful moments in the campaign. Yeah. Uh, because people often don't get the opportunity to confront their bosses like this. Right. And it is, you are typically with your your crew of people with as many people as possible um and you're with your organizing committee you present this petition and usually usually you'll you'll share like kind of why you're forming a union you'll talk about some moments uh that are important to have people recognize like you know stories share some stories that really get at the gravitas of the union and um you can have a back and forth with your boss about this and I mean, the goal of it is to get ultimately volunteer recognition. Uh, the reality is that oftentimes, and more times than not, the uh, the person who you're marching on the bus will delay, obfuscate, or, or flat out say no. Um, right. And we'll talk about what that is. But I just want to say this action is like one of the first critical public actions you all do in terms of going public. Right. And that's really important. Right. Super important. Absolutely. Um, yes. So uh, say that your boss does not voluntarily recognize the union, which is likely to happen. Uh, well, actually, back up. I'll back up a little bit. For this, for this uh, roll-up, you know, the squad up that you actually make the demand. Is this something that if you can get uh, organizational support outside of the uh, the core union group? So from, you know, people like uh, organizing groups and, and media, is this something that you would want to alert them to? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So when we're going public, we're going public. The mm. March on the Boss is just, is just directing that demand and ask portion to get that voluntary recognition, right? Because here's the deal, folks. If you can get voluntarily recognized and not go to an election, that is so preferred. That is so preferred because the election Easy. process is just, yeah, it's, you, then you can go right to bargaining. You can go right, right. to negotiation. Immediately. Um, you skip a lot of the bullshit. Exactly. Yes. And the election process is really designed to facilitate delay tactics from the employer and to have them allow for the employer to chip away at all the hard work you've done in terms of organizing and figuring out what your bargaining unit is supposed to be. So, um, so no, the, the, you know, I, the, there definitely, you definitely want to think of before doing this, what is your broader strategy for going public with your community, with other unions, with elected officials, right? 
Because again, like we said, the more eyes that are on your campaign, the more successful you're going to be. Um, and you might have actions that stem and follow forth where you get maybe community groups or organizations or other unions or whoever it is that you think you need to mobilize and do something that and communicate a message of uh, to your boss to voluntarily recognize the union right after you do that, right? So, um, yeah, so it's important to kind of have a plan for what they're going to do if they say no, right? But in the technical aspect of it, if they say no or they delay, then you are going to file for an election with either your the PERB or NLRB. Um, and that's right. where the cards come into play, and you're going to actually submit um, uh, copies of those cards uh, with uh, uh, with a couple other forms uh, to your local regional office. Right, right. And speaking of having a plan for if the employer says no, what mm-hmm. what's the start of that plan? What should be sort of the what would that plan kind of look like? Yeah, so in, in my experience, uh, when I was like working with the nonprofit, so we, we anticipated that a lot of the executive directors were going to say no. And in many cases, they, they didn't say, necessarily say no, but they said, oh, we have to consult the board because they feel like they don't have the ability to direct the administrative aspects of the organization for some reason at that moment. Which <laughs> um, is it's not true. It's not true. They, didn't, they don't need to consult the board. They could have recognized the union right then and there. But we, you know, so we anticipated that they were going to um, uh, kind of delay and need to consult the board because these, these were like smaller organizations and where people had like more closer re- relationships. Um, we were we were we wanted to like have some negotiating room there right we wanted to be like okay we'll give you like two days um to get your shit together and then we're gonna go file for an election right right Um, and uh, if we don't hear back from you and that's important that you give you you know you give your boss a deadline for when to get back to you because otherwise they can just drag that part out right right Um, so what but what it looked like in terms of getting other people's support right went for demanding voluntary recognition when we got formal word that they weren't going to recognize our the union or they wanted to delay the conversation for some more um we had organized uh like mid-level manager support and they submitted a letter right um saying that the boss should recognize the union we had organized uh, a mass email campaign um, where we had like this online, di- uh, we had basically the bosses like information for their emails um, and the board members' emails, and we had a ton of community members, union members, and elected officials just like flood the inboxes of our executive director and some of the board members, demanding that they voluntarily recognize the union. We had um, local press because we were part of the news guild, which is really, really helpful when your, your, uh, newspapers, your local newspapers are unionized. Um, we had them cover it. Right. And right. they were instantly putting out articles within that week into local publications saying, uh, this is the current status of the union. We had everybody tweeting about it on social media, posting right. it on Instagram. Right. Usually you'll have like a Twitter account or Facebook account ready to go for your actual union and in terms of the campaign itself. So, yeah. So like that, that it took all of that and, and, and it all worked. I mean, we, 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 
some cases we got, we're able to get that voluntary recognition. Um, and in some cases we, it, you know, we had to go to an election, but right. uh, that, that's the kind of pressure that we uh, employed and that, and those specific tactics were decided upon within the organizing community after we kind of thought through what would be the most um, helpful in terms of uh, helpful way to communicate that that people are supportive of this union and that they needed to voluntarily recognize it. Right. Again, it's it's you're trying to build up as much support as possible and make this go viral. Um, yeah. And if if the the boss comes back at you and says we're not going to voluntarily recognize the union, it's time to organize collective actions demonstrating support, uh, TikToks, whatever. Like honestly, it's the goal is to put as much pressure on this as possible. But uh, if they do not voluntarily recognize the union, then that's when you also have to go back out to the people who maybe have not already signed union authorization cards or uh, people who maybe even they have, but that's when you have to keep uh, basically cultivating their support for forming the union. Um, That's right. That's right. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. Your goal is to keep morale high no matter what. Right. And doing collective actions that demonstrate your public support and the amount of support you have uh, can be really, really helpful, both in terms of keeping morale high, but getting people excited about the campaign, getting people invested in the campaign, and getting them to realize that a union is not just some union rep. It is everyone. It's everyone all the workers coming together to make change in your workplace. That is the union. And so things only move if you actually do something. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And again, like examples of what you can do again, I think the Chris Smalls example, having those community events with free food where people are out and they're outside the workplace, organizing, talking about the union, people wearing union pins, pro union pins. Yes. You're allowed to do that. Um, and employers cannot fire you for having a, pro union pin on, uh, at your workplace. Uh, so really start building up the support. You're trying to show strength. You're trying to both build strength and show strength. strength and numbers. Yep. it is at this point that it becomes, if the, if the employer decides not to rep, uh, recognize the union and you file for the election and the days leading up to the election could be the weeks leading up to the election. Um, in some cases, I suppose it could be months. It's just, I Depends, I don't know. Yeah. I, I can't remember how long that Amazon one took in particular. But again, since the employer here benefits from delaying, um, but in this time before the election, employers are able to do some things, you know, these captive audience meetings, um, mm-hmm. which I don't know, Rico, do you want to explain to people what a captive audience meeting is? Yeah, no, this is really good. So um, I just I don't want to take a step back. So what happens after you go public and you make your you know your demand voluntary recognition? The employer is going to basically huddle up. All of the managers are going to lawyer up and they're going to or get all these like anti-union consultants on board. Mm-hmm. Spend a lot of money to do it too. Instead of you know just recognizing the union, they're going to spend a lot of money to like you know mm-hmm. uh, get people together and. 
they're going to say, you can, you can't do this. You can, you can't do that, right? To all the managers. So they're going to try to scare people to even want to talk about the union. And then what they're going to do is they're going to have these quote unquote captive audience meetings where they're going to force employees to come in to a conversation on their work time and basically tell them a bunch of lies about the union. And and it's, again, why we do the inoculation is all the things that we see in the campaign. They'll talk about the dues. They'll talk about um, uh, how this will negatively impact the company or organization. It will change the culture negatively. It will be adversarial. Things You won't be able to get the raises that they were planning to do, which they never were. Um, all, all kinds of things, all kinds of lies are going to say. And the goal when those captive audience meetings happen is to have people ready to go to disrupt in such a way that it calls them on the bullshit, right? So asking really, really pointed questions, stating plainly, that's a lie. This is what this is, right? Having people ready to go um, to respond to the lies that they say is going to be really, really important. But basically, captive audience meetings are where the employer takes all the employees and tells them and feeds them garbage about the Yeah, and look, this is a sophisticated industry, as Rika is, is pointing out. There are consulting groups, law firms, uh, people who serve capitalist interests who are very, very good at uh, destroying union drives. Their whole job, basically, is to come up with the most efficient way or the best way to, the most successful way to stop a union drive. So uh, imagine having psychologists and psychiatrists and, you know, these consultants who are preparing these videos, these anti-union videos that uh, employee employees are forced to watch because it's a captive audience meeting. And the employer is saying, hey, this is not part of your job. You have to come to this captive audience meeting. Uh, these these things can be very effective at turning people's support against unions because it misinformed. They, it's just a lot of misinformation. And honestly, you know, taking a, a a page out of the uh, Dennis method of, you know, from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, it's because of the implication, right? Like the idea is to trap you and say, hey, we're your employer. We really don't like this union stuff. Uh, And they're allowed to. Now, they're not allowed to say they're going to fire you or fire you. But if you're in a captive meeting for your employer and you're informing workers that their status with the company, as far as their status with the company is concerned, hey, you're free to join, you're free to not join. Who's to say, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. That's, Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a, you know, it's the implication. Uh, So what ways, you had some really creative ways to disrupt these meetings when when we talked about this, Rika, and I'd I'd love for you to share them. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's something that also uh, Jane McAlevey talks about. But you bring people in, and they'll like you'll have like really obnoxious food uh, that is really loud, and you just eat it like popcorn or like, chips and bags of chips, and you just like are just yeah. constantly trying to fiddle with that food and eat it nice and loud, and so that way, like, it, you you can't really hear what the uh, person is saying. Yeah. Um, some fried plantains. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, I think I just think it's so funny how like how effective that could be, and also how petty it is just to be like fucking munching as hard as you can during a captive yeah. audience meeting, <laughs> just like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. exactly, exactly. Just basically doing. Some people, what have some people they've done in the captive audience meeting is when 
the employer is speaking, they've turned their backs. They're, they're there, they're listening, but they uh, I like that. So that I like they that too. understand that they're like not giving them their full and undivided attention. Um, that's a little bit more aggressive, but you know, yeah, there's other fun creative you could bring. You could all start singing a song that like signals that, you know, oh, this is some bullshit, you know, <laughs> like coming on, right? Like start whistling or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, the whole point is just making it more difficult for them to get their message out to people and to, and to really show that they're being ridiculous, right? Because here, right. here's the thing, y'all. The reality is that it's not up to the employer whether or not you have a union. Amen. It's, it's, it's your decision. Amen. You're the one that votes. You're the one that signs the authorization cards. You're just basically giving the employer the option to recognize that you all have formed a union, but they do not get to decide whether or not you have a union. Right. Right. That's you get to decide it. Y'all get to decide it. And uh, yeah, that's uh super important to remember. Super important to remember. Um okay. Uh, what else am I missing here with the So now the more loud and proud you are uh collectively, the less vulnerable you are. And that's the more right. you demonstrate your power, uh the more loud and proud you are, the more you also demonstrate your power to the employer. Uh, That's right. So we got these captive audience meetings. We have the the sort of counter-organization that's going on or the counter-efforts by the employers uh, during this time before the election. Uh, is there anything else, Rika, that we should really explore with this after yeah. going yeah, yeah. public but before the For elections sure. part? For sure, they're gonna they're gonna have you know that like they're gonna send uh, interesting emails um, to everyone about uh, the union and what's happening, and uh, there are all those interesting emails again are gonna be chock full of lies and or colorful characterizations of what may or may not have happened. And your goal is you want to make sure that there you are prepared to respond to any point of communication that the employer has with you with you all publicly right you now mm -hmm. not everything warrants the most militant response right but it is important that you don't let the employer control the narrative and kind of leave um, messages that they send without some type of response and again those responses right. can be a collective action that you do publicly with someone it can be an email that you send to everyone um and in their personal emails uh, you know, just basically laughing at or making like an onion article out of, right, their, what, whatever their most recent piece of information was, right? right? Like, <laughs> like you can get really creative with it, but the point is, is that make, you want to make sure that you're not letting their actions go um, without a response. The other, the other thing is no one should be doing any action alone. Um, right. Everyone should be doing actions together and with as many people as possible. Uh, where people get kind of um, vulnerable is when they kind of go like a lone wolf and try to do like a Sally Field moment and stand up alone in a, in a you know, the workshop floor saying union, right? Like that. No, 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 no. Right. We're not doing yeah, that. they're, you, they're, you, you, they're getting disappeared. <laughs> that's right. <Yeah. laughs> they're, they're getting yes. got. <laughs> That's right. And so if you are going to do anything, you want to make sure you're doing it collectively and it's, and you have as many people on board and participating as possible. Um, so that way, you know, you, 
and you want to you want to keep track of uh, who's doing what and what the employer responses to your actions as well because you may be able to file unfair labor practices and ding them um, at the end of your campaign when all things are said and done. And that's a really good point too, Rika. Keep track of the bullshit. Uh, yes. Again, we know, and we have real-world examples, Starbucks in particular, of uh, we know that these employers are going to also do things that are illegal to bust these unions. And if you recall with the was it the Starbucks union or was it uh, – it may have been the Amazon labor union too, but I think it was Bessemer, Alabama. The, Star, uh, the, the Amazon labor union is – the first election results were, were thrown out because uh, the NLRB, again, that's the National Labor Relations Board, found that Amazon had violated the law in its that's union right. busting. That's so right. they yep. had to rehold a vote. And this is stuff that happens. This is pretty common, especially as you get up to these big, uh, bigger corporations and organizations that have a lot more of a vested interest in crushing unions. And uh, again, that's I. I, Well, I'll put it this way. I don't favor. It's it's better to. It's better if you're if you're deciding basically the the fate of the union outside of the National Labor Relations Board or outside of these mm-hmm. sort of judicial processes because Amen. again the the union's strength is coming from the collective action of people and all of these sort of more That's bureaucratic right, processes have a way of destroying momentum or or favoring people who surprise surprise are the capitalists who already have these big law firms on retainer to crush unions at, you know, on command. So, and you also come in, like, look, the National Labor Relations Board is interesting right now because it's actually, it's, I forget who's running it from the Biden administration, but they're a lot more pro-labor than they always are. That's not always the case. And That's that's important. Remember, we're talking about entities that lobby to put certain people in certain positions. And you can bet your ass that all of these capitalist daddies have their way of putting uh, their own people on the National Labor Relations Board whenever they put candidates into office. And uh, so, again, you want to keep track of these, you know, whenever the employer is doing something that is shady, that could be illegal, Keep track of it because you'll need it for evidence if it goes to the National Labor Relations Board. But again, uh, the best and, – and maybe you can correct me on this, Rika, but the best uh, defense for stuff like this is a really good offense. And the best offense is to have uh, majority support and collective power. The, the yeah. actual organization and the organizing itself and the organizing of the employers itself – is always going to be more powerful, almost always going to be more powerful than uh, the trying to solve these things in in court. That is 1000% right by, and the reason why it's also way more powerful is because it is what galvanizes people, right, to continue to invest and support your or your campaign. Right. If they're actively participating in things, they're that much more likely to turn out and vote yes in your election. They're that much more likely to get involved later on in your 
negotiations because they have now learned that a union is not something that someone else does. It is that it is them and that they are. Right. 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 Yeah. That's a beautifully put Rika. Beautifully put. Yeah. So I think, I mean, that's where I think, I think that's where we might want to stop for today because the election piece is its own own nightmare. It's a whole um, thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, okay. Well, how about we'll do a quick, quick review of the main steps to form a union for everybody. And then we'd love to take questions. Rika is here to answer questions. Uh, Shout out again to Rika for joining us. It's incredible to have someone who actually knows what they're doing with unions and when uh, that the word organize is something that is not just a meme, but like a lifestyle. Uh, So I, I really appreciate that. Actually, you know what? Let's just give Rika some of that first. I love, I love, I love organizing unions. I love it so much. And so I, I'm really happy to be here. And I also, you know, I just want to be clear, like I have experience. I don't know everything under the sun and you don't need to know everything under the sun either to do this, but I'm just trying to share the, the kind of brass tacks of what we have to do to get here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I I think that's what people are looking for, at least um, in these stages. And and it's I hope anyone who listens to this later has these first two or these first couple of steps in mind, you know, an overview of what the 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 where these laws come from, which is, again, the National Labor Relations Act. We call it the NLRA, uh, also known as the Wagner Act. It's from back in FDR's time because. We haven't really done shit for labor since FDR, so <laughs> that's still the act that that is in charge here. Um, we talked about public versus private sector unions, and then we talked about a little bit or a lot about how you organize a union. And again, building the majority support. How do you do that? Sneaky, go around, uh, power mapping the workplace, figuring out where you have support both within the uh, employer and outside of it, uh, preparing to do the things like going public with the union, uh, getting people to sign those union authorization cards again, uh, building up that support before you actually go public. Uh, is that, that about right, Rika? Yeah. Making sure you have a strong representative organizing committee to hold down that campaign and to help, you know, move this forward for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then the next step we talked about is the actual going public and demanding voluntary recognition. This is the big moment, the big, you know, rage against the machine. Fuck you. I won't do what you tell me. When you you roll up on the boss all strong, you air out your grievances and you say, we want our union. And the employer is likely here to say no. And that's when you file your union authorization cards, which you should already have with the NLRB. Uh, or the PERB, again, the National Labor Relations Board, if you're a private employer, private sector employer, the uh, Public uh, Employee Relations Board, if you're a public sector employer, but you file those union cards with them, and that starts the countdown to the election. Is that right? 
That's right. And when you go public, we're loud and proud and That's we're right. shooting for voluntary recognition and we're going to do everything in our power to uh, convince the employer that they should voluntarily recognize your union right there on the spot, um, all the way up and through even the election, up, up until the actual administration of the election. Right, right. Um, then we talked about what to expect in the time leading up to the election, which is you still have to build majority support. Uh, you right. want to keep morale high. You want to make sure you and your organization, organizing committee, and also uh, the people who have become invested in who support the union or the union efforts uh, are reaching out to the different people in the employ, uh, different employees, you know, different uh, walks of life that they come from, people who are able to communicate and just broaden this out as much as possible uh, to build more support within the employee ranks. Uh, but you're also trying to get in touch with the media. You're trying to make sure that there are a lot of eyes on this so that the employer is less likely to do bullshit. Uh, uh, again, we're thinking about this as if we're going viral. The whole idea is to go viral and stay viral. Um, yeah. And then we talked a little bit about captive audience meetings, how to uh, be really petty and eat popcorn <laughs> during these, <laughs> which is so funny to me. I, I'm going to laugh every time I think of that, just like you <laughs> eating like fried plantain chips, just like super, <laughs> super loud <laughs> while people are trying to organize. And with those like sun-kissed chips, recycled aluminum bags, right? Those yeah. So noisy. Those things are so noisy. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. You're just trying to disrupt those efforts. Um, but those are the 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 main steps leading up to the election. And then tomorrow, uh, same time, same place, we're going to start off with the election and walk through that process. Maybe we'll get a little more into some of the laws what they can and can't do, employers can and can't do, what employees can and can't do. Um, but I think, is there anything else that that I should include in this in this summary before we take some questions, Rika? Or? Oh, yeah. Just, just as you're going public and you're kind of moving through the process up to the election, doing collective actions together to continuously demonstrate your support for forming a union and responding to the employer's bullshit is highly encouraged collective actions all the way yeah awesome 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 well thank you again rika i'm gonna invite you to speak uh you should see like a pop-up come up here and yeah if you just accept that and then anyone who's been wanting to call in with questions about any part of this process we told you earlier keep it in your back pocket now's the time let them out baby let's see them pockets see what's in there <laughs> yeah and i actually rika you can still like speak and everything right do you want to i kind of want to run to the restroom but yeah <laughs> okay take your, take your business. <laughs> all right i'll be back i'll be back yeah so if there's anyone here who has any questions comments or you know here's the other you know other thing that we didn't mention is like if you have been through your own campaign uh, why not? Okay, let's do, oh my God, hold on, go back real quick. Okay, Shelly, I think I can, I think I can let you speak, right? Let me see. 
don't know. Can I? I'm clearly not prepared for this, Shelly. <laughs> I don't have the power. I don't have the power. I didn't organize my campaign well enough here. Um, give me one second. I'm going to see and explore if I can do some more. Um, yeah, I think, I think because Biden is the host, he's the one that has the control over this. Uh, but, uh, yeah, patter, Rika, patter. <laughs> yes. Oh, you know, I, I well, I, one thing I wanted to, uh, mention is, um, you know, some people, uh, think that, you know, they're, one thing that I've encountered a lot in my organizing is that people are really concerned about what they're that that or or they think they kind of overestimate the kindness of their boss sometimes and or their their managers. And I just gotta say, I have continuously had people grossly disappointed when they find uh, people doing really, really mean things to them in this campaign. So you know, I if you're in a small workplace, where relationships are important, you should just anticipate things might get a little intense and uh, that your your boss friend may uh, start showing some true colors here. And it's just because they have the power to do so. Excellent advice. Absolutely, back. absolutely worth. Yeah, I'm glad I'm back too. It was absolutely worth taking the potty break for <laughs> the, the last bit that I caught of that. So Shelly, what's up? Uh, welcome well, back to the Fred Hampton Inn Suites. Yeah, thank you. I take Andrew. I'm literally right in the middle of running an errand, but like no one was calling in and I was like, no, we're not letting it die here. So <laughs> <laughs> take Andrew first and then I'll call back in. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you, Shelly. Okay. Thanks. All right, Andrew, you're up. What's up, bud? Hey, Rika. Hey. <laughs> hey. Uh, Enjoyed this episode. I uh, I love that. I don't know. I I get annoyed with some people being like, well, "What do you mean organized?" But I, I guess also, yeah, this is a lot of shit that you have to read in uh, in in government code. You know, on on a government website or on another website where someone's put these resources together. So very much appreciate it. Yeah, it was it was Rika's idea, and I will forever be in her debt for it because it. <laughs> she may have just made me into a, uh, a real believer of maybe I'm quitting my job and becoming a labor organizer because this is, <laughs> it, it, it feels cool to actually like empower people or to try to do something, you know? Um, yeah. I like that. I had a, my, my, the, one of the last experiences I had before I left uh, the, the Seattle chapter of extinction rebellion announced on a, a few of those climate groups is, um, I, we had been doing all these actions against Amazon and we were, we were going to like the Amazon web services, like HQ, where there's a lot of people working there in Seattle and saying like, Hey, did you guys know that AWS is supporting ice and that you guys are selling facial recognition to ice and, and the CIA and whatnot. And, and also that the, that the web services industry is, yeah. is ha, has as much, um, carbon emissions as the airline industry so we we're going doing all these protests and we were working with like the Northwest immigrant rights people and, and some other groups because it was ice adjacent. And then I was like, you guys, we're going to the corporate 
part of Amazon and protesting, even if we were like totally successful, they could just work from home. Why don't we go right. and try and help the warehouse workers organize? So we had a meeting with some people from uh, two different climate orgs and also the Amazon tech workers um, representative and one person who worked at a warehouse that was also a part of the climate. Oh, cool. And we talked about, you know, kind of should we shift and do this? And they were like, well, uh, no. the, the Amazon tech worker person said, look, basically the people work with centers uh they don't they're not they don't really understand climate stuff they're, they basically won't get it and uh, also we got it covered like we got it we got it on lock right now we're organizing tech workers we got um the management to agree to meet with us to talk about something so we're doing just fine without you. awesome and and then they said if you actually go and do this we might even like alert the company or the police because it would be undemocratic of you to go and talk to the workers about unionizing. <laughs> so then I was like, okay, fuck all of you. And I just left the, both all of those or, respective organizations. But what I wanted to know is, cause I've still this, I'm still salty about this. As you can tell, I thought yeah. it was a good idea because, you know, apart from the web services, the actual physical transport of all this stuff, um, is you know a huge expenditure of resources and energy a lot of the stuff that they store at the warehouses they actually have people destroy so that they don't you know drive down the price of the commodities they sell and the the workplace conditions are awful so i'm Mm -hmm. I'm still like this why aren't more people doing this and my question is if you never worked at a at a amazon uh fulfillment center or any part of amazon would it even technically be legal for you to try and like agitate for you know to to support unionizing at a warehouse and also like would you rika say that it is recommendable to do that because as you mentioned it's such a uh like kind of sneaky close-knit conversation so my thoughts were if you don't work for amazon they can't fire Mm -hmm. you and if you're on public property nearby putting up signs and talking to people all the time and giving them you know food and coffee and stuff and being like hey um you should have bathroom breaks and more pay and it's you know a regular schedule good vacation days etc etc um yeah you know what what are your thoughts on the 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 legalities and also just is that even recommendable to do yeah well um I, I'm curious what you're, as a resident lawyer here, what your thoughts are. I definitely have a response to my experience and thoughts. Yeah, l- let's go with you first, actually. That, I, I'm okay. curious to okay. hear what you say. Yeah, so, so it, 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 is, it is totally legal. Uh, and that's why we do community support around, or we look toward community support for when we're doing our organizing campaigns, uh, because we want people to show that support. And, uh, there even is a practice where, you know, people will have, uh, like they're called salts where worker or, uh, basically union employees will become an employee of the place that they're trying to organize. Right. And so you, I mean, you don't have to be an employee to support people in forming a union and to vocalize your support for forming a union. Now that said, I think there are some strategic questions I have about doing that one right? If you're, it is always way more challenging to have a conversation with someone about forming a union 
when you don't actually do the work that they do. I, even as an organizer, I, and I work really closely with the workers that I'm um, either representing or working with on the campaign. And so I'm like, quote unquote, trusted and have a lot of information about what their job entails. But sometimes I can't even have those those necessary conversations because people just do not trust me and they don't trust my perspective on things. Um, and it, it can take a little bit of work to actually get them to, to trust me. So, so it's, my, it's not that you can't do that. You, you, you can. Um, but the question is more about strategy and what's going to be most effective in having a conversation with people about, uh, why. And it's, so here's the other thing, uh, Andrew, is that when we're talking about having one-on-ones with people, we're not actually having conversations we're not telling them flat out you should form a union that's not we never actually say that in our organizing conversations we say we we really lay it out like why the issue or thing that people cares about is can be addressed and or has been addressed through forming a union and then we let people make a decision for themselves about whether or not that's worthwhile, right? Because at the end of the day, it's their decision, one, to ultimately form a union, and two, they gotta be really real with themselves about whether or not it's gonna be worth the effort to organize, right? So so my, so my, it's not that you can't do that, and I, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily put it at the front end of a campaign if you're not an employee. I would be, I would be like asking y'all to help keep the momentum going uh, after you go public, right? That's where I would strategically put something like that. So that's kind of my initial thoughts and reactions to that. I mean, I agree. I agree with basically everything you just said. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's, as far as like, is it illegal? I don't know of any laws that would stop you from uh, supporting a union that you are not necessarily going to be a part of. Uh, right. but, but that being said, it is, I mean, part of what, give these union drives real momentum are the, the, the sort of sense of empowerment and the fact that the people who are doing it really feel like they're all doing it themselves. That's uh, right. We are talking about basically showing a demonstration of well, uh, I'll put it this way. It would be every union drive is kind of like a microcosm of what we would like to happen with American politics, which is where, people realize that their class interests are aligned and that in screwed in a similar way mm-hmm. and they collectively uh, choose to unite and do something about it. Uh, yeah. Now imagine, I think it's important that the, that drive does come from the people who are going to be actually, uh, you know, kind of risking it all who are mm-hmm. going to be, uh, the people who are actually being affected by these things, because the last thing you want to do too, and and look, most of the time, if you're just supporting a union, uh, everyone's happy about it, right? Like I've never gone by a a strike or something and honked a horn, and people are like, "Hey, is he a lawyer? Fuck that guy!" You know, right. like it's it's <laughs> like like people like support. People want you to show the support, but I think it, it is. I mean. One thing Rika is really hitting on here that I, I very much agree with is you're, this is more than about us supporting. It's about empowering the people to take the momentum and do it themselves. 
That's right. And and that is that is a snowball that's very hard to stop. And if it comes from, you know, if if the idea of the union is shown as something that's like, look at all these people who are in their supervisory positions or they're just some dumb communist somewhere or he's some, you know, like belonging to some kind of political group. Look at him just trying to get you to unionize because he wants his own nefarious interests. Like, exactly. like uh, employers are going to try to play that up. So it's important. Totally. Again, we're trying to empower the people to do this themselves. And then the best way that I found or that I feel that you can really help the union when you're not actually in the same position as the workers themselves is to ask them, how, how can I be of service to you? How, yes. and then it becomes their idea their idea to get you involved, to get you to do something. And sometimes that, that role can be significant. I mean, Rika, I'm sure that you've, with the amount that you talk about power mapping, I cannot expect that you have not been part of a power mapping uh, sort of uh, planning in, in your time as a, as an organizer, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, I mean like definitely like we, we, I sit down with people and we chart out like, what organizations and groups of people do we think are literally could literally move your boss to just voluntarily recognizing your union? Like we, we sit there, we go through and we like, name, and we don't just name organizations. We go, okay, who do you know in that yeah. organization? Right. Who are you connected to anyone? If you're not, who's going to make that ask and who's going to reach out and build those relationships before we get to the point where we need to. Right. So no, it's, it's, it's a, I, Support is so important, but just to underscore what you said by it, it is, it is the workers who ultimately have to drive it. And here's the thing: we didn't mention this, and I think, and I think it's important to say here at this point too is like, you know, you don't really, you don't advance till you check off the boxes in the campaign, right? And part of the one of the biggest boxes that you need to check off in this campaign is that eighty percent support, right? And the only way you're going to get that 80% support is if, is if truly if other workers are having conversations with each other about this unionization effort. 100%. 100%. Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely also agree with all of that. I guess it's just, it seems like, <clears throat> I don't, I, I don't know what, what seems like a sensible thing to do because in most cases, Amazon fulfillment centers are placed in the margins between municipalities in industrial zones mm-hmm. where like there's not really restaurants there. So and people are coming from pretty far and wide to work at these places, partly because, um, you know, there's a high turnover and also because there's a high amount of jobs to be had there, even without the turnover, like they they kind of are always hiring. Um, so what I'm, yeah, I guess my vision was just like, have a fucking easy up tent, um, with mm-hmm. food and like hot food. And me- I mean, Seattle, it's pretty rainy and great a lot of the year. So I was thinking like, show up super fucking, uh, early, figure out when the shift changes are and show up around those times, but also like be doing other things. Like there's a ton of homeless encampments around every single Amazon fulfillment center that I know of. Um, so I was like, Oh, I'll just do a, a run to one of these encampments to like talk to people and bring them some supplies. And then also maybe if I'm doing this in a group, have some people show up at the Amazon fulfillment center and be like, 
big sign says like you deserve like higher pay better working conditions you know respect at your job etc and uh, i don't know just if people and talk to people be like hey what's up like they treating you well here or like i don't know but it, it, i also definitely see like a it could be easily I, I would be easy fodder i feel like no matter what it said on the sign um unless it just said like hey free food well Andrew, to your point, like anti-union propaganda and also like suspicious to the workers. Yeah, I think I think the so because really what you're getting at is like how can we almost agitate people to get going? Right, right. (laughs) Like how how do we? How can we? Is there is there a role for that? And I think there is. You know, I I in my local hometown, I uh, when I was in Michigan. I frequented the Starbucks often, the one and the only one that was there. And I would, I would be like, you know, building relationships with people. And I would talk to one of them and be like, you know, just ask me like, what's your role here? Da, 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 da. And then I'd be like, so what's it like working here? What, you know, and then because the campaign's Republic, I'd be like, so what do you think about that? Right. So I think it, my suggestion is more of like the approach, right? If you start off, if you start off with like, it, it though it, i mean for me personally if you came outside my place of employment and were like you you're you know we support you unionizing like i'd be very very emotionally like um overwhelmed and also like grateful a lot of people might be really turned off by that right and and also get scared because they're like again a lot of people have no idea like literally no idea what right. a union is right. you know and so those one on one conversations and starting slowly with people and building relationships with people and asking those questions and then that's kind of i would i would approach it more that way then and and then and then going back to what I said then you can figure out like if, once they get their campaign going um, if they they're, they're going to come to you and be like hey you're so supportive of us could you help us with that and that would be right. probably way, 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 way more helpful um, to them because it's coming from their idea of like what a, what would be significant for their strategy. Absolutely. I mean, Andrew, the goal here is to be one of the known factors on that power map that they're making. Yes. You want to, you want to, whatever that takes in doing in the community, right? Like you want to be, yeah. you want to be supportive of these movements uh, at large. Uh, you want to be, uh, you don't want to be someone who just kind of shows up and no one knows your history. No one knows exactly who you are. And now you're suddenly exactly. like trying to do these things. Cause that will be, that can be viewed with suspicion. Now, sometimes that could really work, but, but the, there, <laughs> like back in the day and still today, but there are, there are certain community organizations or there are certain, like, there are certain ways to make yourself a known quantity within that world. There's a reason why people, whenever they're always uh, unionizing, uh, you know, why they call Bernie Sanders. Because they know, they know he can be there and they know that he supports that kind of movement. Um, I, I, I think, you know, my, my, my strategy has always been to, uh, because surprisingly I still, I, I, I have a lot of friends who work in factories or who, uh, who are, in the in, in in positions to where their their employment is is ripe for unionization, and a lot of the times, just in being around these people and and like them knowing me, uh, they'll ask me questions about 
Hey, so tell me about socialism. Hey, tell me about a union. What is this thing? And that can, you know, those kinds of things can snowball as well. But, uh, yeah. I, I, you know, I agree with everything Rika was saying on that. Can I ask one more uh, uh, drop it and leave it kind of question and I'll make room for Cynthia? Hell yeah. Okay, my other question is, what are the rules around contributing to a strike fund? Like, you were saying that the union dues are the backbone of the union's ability to, to you know, run itself, and also especially during, uh, if you're going to strike, which I guess is further into other episodes, but, you know, what, are, is it legal to do that? Um, how often do unions ask for that, uh, et cetera? This is a great question. I, I don't know of any legal regulations against contributing to a strike fund. Uh, yeah. I, I yeah. actually be a violation. If, if there were, if it were made illegal, uh, I think that would probably be some kind of constitutional case. Uh, honestly, um, yeah, maybe, speech, maybe. maybe yeah. freedom of speech. Yeah. I'm thinking freedom yeah. of speech. Um, yeah. but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know of any, any rules that would, uh, Again, make that illegal. Uh, again, I would always check your local rules and regulations, but at the same time, uh, I'm I'm giving that money to that strike fund, baby, every time. Yeah, yeah. I I don't, and I have not worked on a campaign where we have uh, led us or I have organized a strike or organized to a strike as part of the unionization process. Um, though I am currently working for an organization where they have um, led up to strike votes, strike authorization votes, and that was enough to get the employer to move on some things. So, but I, so that's just to say that my, in my like limited experience of being around that, there's no uh, moment where people have uh, been denied or rejected or legally kept from donating to a strike fund that I've ever experienced. I think, um, yeah, yeah, give away. I think that's really helpful. <laughs> yeah, I'm giving all that money. Fuck that. Yeah, stop me, motherfucker. Sorry. I'm just, <laughs> nah, uh, that's all. But really good questions. Uh, Andrew, thank you so much for calling in. And um, appreciate you yeah. a lot. Yeah, appreciate you. Appreciate you. Thank you. Okay, up next. Oh, it's an old friend. Look at this, Rika. It's Cynthia. Yeah. Hey, what's up, the girl? The bitch is back. <laughs> <laughs> the HBIC is in the building, baby. What's up? What's up? I know I've been gone for a very long time. Um, just a lot of personal shit. I well, so this is why this call, like, literally. I swear to God, I just kind of dropped in on this call. I didn't even know you were, <clears throat> um, I'm all over the place, but yeah, I was like, Oh, bye's on. Um, and I feel like this, I was meant to drop in on this call because I just started a new job. Um, mm -hmm. and <laughs> I'm like in such a tough position because I'm so fucking relieved. It is so much better than my other, my last job in so many ways. Congrats. You know, and mm -hmm. I was able to negotiate a higher salary and I obviously have a lot of, um, like, I'm just very privileged in a lot of ways with this job as my, like, what I consider my day job, you know, um, <clears throat> it's a really great day job and I work in media and I work for a very big corporation. So, mm -hmm. but you know, 
upon coming, upon starting this new position, I'm kind of overwhelmed with all of the, you know, there's a lot of perks that come with working for a big corporation, a lot of really nice perks. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, there's also certain drawbacks. And one of those drawbacks is that they decided that, okay, everyone has to come in Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And like, again, I get it. I'm not working in the fucking coal mines. Like I'm not out here crying. Like, you know, I, I, I have it really good in a lot of ways, but I, like seriously upon my first week starting there I I realized that like everyone was just like fuck this (laughs) like every you know people were like Mm -hmm. this is so dumb um because you know the kind of sector and industry that I work in it's a lot of people who like it's just completely arbitrary that we have to go into an office you know the pandemic made us realize yeah 100 right yeah yeah for a lot of us who have jobs like that it's like oh wait a minute we're like we're spending you know, how many, and you know, my commute into work is like 40, 45 minutes, you know, and mm-hmm. um, 45, mm-hmm. no, 40 minutes there, 40 minutes back. It's like, okay, so that's like two hours out of your day, you know, that you're spending on a commute. Um, you know, just like all these little things that the pandemic made us in those kinds of positions realize like, oh, this is arbitrary, you know, that we have to come into the office. Um, and someone like me, like I, I actually... I don't mind, like, I kind of like being able to go into the office a little bit. Yeah, but you want to be able to fucking control that shit, right? Like, that's, that's the bogus, the bogus part about it. Yeah. It's, it's it's, it's it's arbitrarily like. Control. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, fuck y'all. I'll come in when I need to. Right. And, um, and, and so there's that. And I can, I mean, just taking the temperature of hearing like the rumblings going on in the office and all these different teams. It's like. You know, people who are like basically just writing or like video editing or like, you know, stuff like that, where again, you could do these jobs from home, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and my, my manager, my, my supervisor, uh, when I had like a meeting with her, he lives in like Jersey. And she's like, my fiance and I were like maybe wanting to move out, you know, more toward our family. And apparent, and she has she's not coming in at all right now. And she said it's like, oh, me and a couple of other employees are kind of like holding out right now. And basically, it's kind of open ended what they're going to do with us in the next month. because we are the ones who are like, fuck this. Like you know, we've been working mm-hmm. remotely. Where mm-hmm. we, our productivity we even went up. We've shown mm-hmm. that we can do our job. You know, so basically, I am just like. Jeez, real like, come on, man! Like now, I because now I, I can't help it. I'm like, we should unionize. Like I, you know, mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. with all of this mm-hmm. shit that, um, especially with you guys and like how you've been educating me, the things that I've been reading, and I honestly was a little intimidated because you know this this kind of folk. I was like, am I gonna be like the dirty little commie or whatever? You know, I'm, who's mm-hmm. like. <laughs> But I was surprised at like my manager. She's like, "Oh, I would love if someone just like could lead that and could like I would totally be on board with that." Mm. And mm. I realized that actually another sector of the company did unionize, like the news sector. Well, well, well. Yes, and I was like, I could maybe reach out to these people because yeah, basically here are my concerns. Asking you guys these questions because these are my concerns. Since I'm very green on the matter, I've never organized, I've never, you know, been involved in a union or anything. Mm-hmm. This is how they got us. Like, you know, 
I'm like so grateful for this job and I don't want to lose it. And I'm afraid that if I'm going to be the one who's like taking charge and leading the charge and and leading the union, that I'm going to get fired Mm -hmm. and I don't want to lose my job. And I also Mm -hmm. just have no idea where to start because, you know, it's a really big corporation. So it's like, I don't even know who to talk to. You know, I don't even know who's the first person I talk to. Do I try and get people to like, hey, want to meet up for drinks after? You know, it's like, I don't even know where to begin. Mm-hmm. So I know mm-hmm. that's kind of, and you don't have to like answer that specifically now, but I'm just kind of like throwing those two things Oh, but out. I'm going to. <laughs> yeah, do it, Rika. Do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I am going to. So first, first off, um, I think it's exciting that you're considering this. This is awesome. And it makes complete sense that you're uh, kind of, scared about it in in terms of a process or like timid you know and, and but you also have that energy and that's that's really important to recognize before you even embark on it so that's good that you're that aware of your own emotional self and landscape i just need to recognize that oh, uh, because a lot of people a lot of people just uh, you know you would be shocked at how many people just kind of like go off and start doing something and they have no idea like they were they're not really ready for it they haven't really contemplated mm-hmm. it and then they just start doing stuff and it's not really good um so i you know uh first first and foremost you will not be doing this alone you can't do this alone cynthia so that's important to understand is that you will not be the lone wolf in organizing your workplace nor should you be um if it was just you walking around doing these conversations and or uh, being the only one speaking about it then you would have a huge problem so any successful campaign is going to have multiple people working on this and, and spearheading this uh, effort. It's not just going to be you. So with, with, with that said, in any organizing work that I've ever done, you know, it, it moves at the speed of trust and you start with the people you know and trust, right? And you, I, you know, when we're talking about building that organizing committee, it usually starts with someone like you and then a group of people that they're really really close to that have expressed frustrations about the workplace and who have maybe considered forming a union so i think you know starting with the people you trust um having those conversations with them and then what i would do is because you have are working at such a big company i would then reach out to your the you the the news the people that represents yeah, yeah. that yeah. news people um, because they're going to have experience with your employer mm-hmm. they're going to know what happened and they're going to be able to help inform your campaign and further if they're they'll likely have an organizer that they can um uh help support you in the process so you're yeah. not doing it again all alone yeah i know who okay hell yeah well then that's yeah. that's a good I, I agree with all of that. And I just want to say one thing. It's a little bit of an aside. It's a little bit of a tangent, but I believe it. Like, I'm sorry, but employers, people who employ people, capitalists get to be petty all the fucking time. Yeah. They don't, they, they have all these benefits. They have all this shit. And I've literally worked on cases where it costs more money to retain me and the firm than it did to recover the money that you were recovering because they they can afford to be petty and they can afford to have these little like wants or these little life comforts that they just want because they do 
if you want to form a union because y'all want to just stay home and know that you can work from home, that's valid. I don't give a shit. Like, who cares? We're, we're always taught, we're always like, oh, we have to, oh, I know I have it so well and everything. Yeah, guess what? We all deserve to have it better. We all deserve right. that. Like, it's and, it's like yes, every- it's our fucking lives. Look, every day that you have to go into work, Cindy, you said it takes you 40 minutes to get into work, right? Yeah. So these motherfuckers are robbing you of 80 minutes of your life every day. Okay. In Manhattan, and they take town cars to work, etc. You know what I mean? It's like, bitch, you don't have to way. And like, you know, I'm a woman, and I live in like an okay part of town, but like, you know, it's a little scary sometimes with the people who are yelling at you as you're walking subway home to work, and it's getting dark out at night. You know, like, I would like to do that less, and like. The other thing with my supervisor, it's like, I really, really like her. And she's been with the company for like six years. I don't want her to have to like leave in three months. Just because, you know what I mean? Just because yeah. You coming to work or whatever. Rico, so bag of sun chips right now to interrupt this meeting. <laughs> Is that what you're doing? It sounds like, <laughs> sounds like you got that crinkly ass bag right now. <laughs> my bad, my bad, my bad. <laughs> Um, I I also want to have that conversation of other people with regard to salary because, you know, I have no idea what other people make. And like, I I think that's a valuable conversation. Like I kind of heard people talking about it today, you know, like this, this one girl who's been with the company for eight years and I'm like, wow, I wonder, you know what I mean? Like, does she even make that much more than me? You know what I mean? Like I have no idea. And I feel like that, well, that person's entitled to more, you know, like I believe she, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's right. That's right. So I, I just, it's like, it's not just me, like not wanting to come to work, you know, on Wednesday or whatever. It's like, I'm thinking about my supervisor who I want to keep around. I'm, you know, I, I'm thinking yeah. about my colleagues who I believe like, okay, you've been working with this company for almost nine years. Like you deserve whatever pay raises. I think that, you're, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, 100%. Cynthia, yeah. This just reminds me that, you know, these camp, most of my campaigns, um, people were not motivated by, I mean, like wages were important, but most people were not motivated to organize by wages. It was yeah. that they wanted, the truth of the matter was that people wanted more power to make decisions in, in the workplace about that affected their own lives. Right. One hundred percent. That is it. That's what it comes down 100%. to. One hundred percent. And I don't yeah. think I'm asking that much. You're not. Well, is is all people want and that's not a big ask like no it's not it's not a big ask at all i mean look at the the railway workers with one of the big things that they're asking for with their strike is what i'm off just days (laughs) off yeah it's not even money it's i want to be able to be around my family and friends for a little bit Mm -hmm. like it's and the fact that they're being fought on that (laughs) their employers are fighting them on that is absurd yeah, just just the arbitrary control of it all is probably you know you can just tell that's like the biggest factor. But I, I guess the last thing I'll say is like I, I I got wind of how important it was to you know maybe try and organize this because this well and here's another thing like I had to work this event this weekend that was like the entire weekend and it, it you know it was like a very exhaustive um, like event. And it's like, 
oh yeah, we like don't get paid overtime for that. You know, it's like, oh, well then, you know, you take comp days here and there, like throughout the week. Like, when do you want to take your comp days or whatever? And then we got cookies today. <laughs> like, I just thought of this art, that article that I read recently about yeah. the pizza party. The pizza, the fucking pizza party. Hey, pizza parties. Yeah. Like, I hate the article that said, if you want to really retain your employees, don't pay them more. Give them more pizza parties. Yes. Like, I'm sorry. Eat my entire ass, dog. My- <laughs> like, get out of here. Get out of here with that bullshit. Like, it- and listen, the cookies were fucking good. Okay. I'm not going to like, you can give the cookies as well. Like, I'll take a cookie, yeah. but I, you know, but like, why not, um, you know, why not pay your employees overtime to have to work these your events that take up our entire week. I mean, Cynthia, 100%. You know what? You know what makes a cookie taste better too? <laughs> when I know you're not doing it in lieu of paying me what I'm worth. Exactly. When I know that you're actually giving me a cookie because you want me to have a cookie, not because you right. want me to think that we're all family here. Let me tell you right. a story. When I got started off in this this practicing law shit. One of the earlier firms that I went to, one of the earliest firms that I went to, they were like, hey, when you're here, you're family, Papa John's, right? It was this whole <laughs> bullshit ass, like, we're all friends, we're all family, and everyone I work with is super nice. I started getting overworked, I need to go find something else. The next firm that I went to, the offer was more than double of what I was being paid at the last firm. More than a hundred percent more, and I thought, family, th- th- then this family wants me to not eat, wants right. me to not like, like wow. fuck this fu- fucking goofy ass family, like, wow. and I, I, you know who family can be is your actual union, like the people who are, yeah, united with you in your class interests about something, right? So I, again, I just think it's it's this divide and conquer strategy is. It benefits the people at the top more than anyone else. And, uh, you know, don't think that your demands are too petty or too anything like that. Cause they're not, they're, they're, your life is your life. You should have some control over it. Yeah. And I, you know, I think the, the thing that is comforting again, there's another sector of the, con- of the, the country of the company that did I successfully union unionize. And then in in the media sphere, in the media industry right now, there's actually a lot of unionizing happening, which is, again, comforting. Like, you know, you've got a lot of different major, you know, like Condé Nast and Hearst and all these places and like New York Times wired. Like there's a lot of different media spaces that have been unionizing. So that's also comforting because, you know, I really don't think that was the case a couple of years ago. So let's just keep unionizing everything. <laughs> Hashtag unionize it all. That's right. Um, and, but yeah, thanks so much for this call. And like, I'm glad that, you know, I have you guys both in my DMS cause <laughs> probably will want to like, you know, reach out to you as I embark on this seventh ring of hell. No, it'll be, it'll be- yeah, <laughs> well, well, real, real quick, Cindy, before you go, the only thing I wanted to say was that, um, you know, when you are having these conversations with people, right. it's like it is important that you're clear that like you know we are keeping this on the DL (laughs) that's what well I did want to ask about that you know like how do you 
strategically approach because I know it's like that's what everyone is afraid of, right? Because we just have that fear built into us of like, don't let daddy know what we're, you know, yeah, you're talking yeah. about. Because I'm, well, no, seriously, I have that fear. I'm like, am I going to get fired? Are they going to find out? Are they going to overhear that I'm trying to unionize the workspace, perceive me as a threat, and then fire my ass? I just got this job, you know, and I'm like, I don't want to lose it. So yeah. I, I can well, imagine other people are fearful about that as well. Here, I mean, again, you know what Biden said, it's, it's, it is it's 1000% illegal for them to retaliate or fire you for talking about a union in your workplace <laughs> or anything. What they're more likely to do is they're like, they'll be like, oh, you did X, you know, make up some bullshit thing, right? Um, but it's 100% illegal and you should track that and, you know, make sure you're documenting it. Like if that, if that, if they were to do anything, you know, too, but my, my point is to your earlier question about how do you go about having these conversations? Again, you start with the people you trust, you know, mm-hmm. and there is some risk. There's always some risk. Right. But you, and you, you said you're newer, so mm-hmm. it might be honestly, like how, how long have you been working there for? Oh my God. Like, like basically a month. Yeah. So I would, you know, I would if you can stomach it, you know, I would be more focused on building relationships with people and, and focusing on broadening that network of trust um, Mm -hmm. before you start having those conversations because um, they're only going to move as, you know, again, you move at the speed of trust. So, you know, the, and the more people that you're able to build those relationships with and develop that trust with the more successful you'd be. So I would focus on, just, you know, getting more acquainted with people. Um, and honestly, like how you do it is, you you know, you're doing what you do. You just hang out with people, try to get like happy hours going or whatever, yeah. right? Do do that yeah. stuff first before you start having the um, the actual like conversation about forming a unionization. So, Talk about work. Talk or- about work with people, you know, like, yes. like yeah. you, you know, yes. just like the, the commiserating a little bit. Like, you know, some people may not be into that, but a lot of people you know, are, are, once that door opens, a lot of people will be able to do it. So then you can all start, you know, you know, talking a little bit about some of the problems you're having and whatnot. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and here's the other thing too, like you may be able to start addressing some of your problems, right. Just, you know, mm-hmm. with each other before you even start the unionization campaign, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, but what you're and, and in doing so, what you can point to is like, this is like, eventually what you can say is like, this is what it means to have a union we should just keep doing this. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, so yes. I, think, I think build, build the relationships, focus on that, settle in if you can. And then, and you know, I, most people I've only had one campaign where like, there was like one person who was brand new to the job, but they were, they already knew people at the place that they were working at. So even though they were brand new, mm. they were, they already had those relationships built. So it was, it, it was able to kind of move and pick up really quickly um, mm-hmm. but even then, you know what it took like by quickly, I meant they came to me, we had a conversation about it and then I didn't hear for them in like four months. Yeah. And then we had another conversation about it that I didn't hear for them again in another two months. And then we started actually working on the campaign. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, that that's helpful. Thank you. Cause I was kind of anticipating that. And I, that's also a part of me that I have to like rein back in because I'm very like, ready to go you know like i'm excited to get on the shop floor and start you know um playing that what's that (laughs) copy what's the song you played for shelly you can play it next so we can ring her in Uh, (laughs) (laughs) like i'm like you know i'm 
I get really fired up and I'm like ready to go. So yeah. But yeah. We'll no, I totally get it. Remember, we're 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 little fingering it here. Yeah. Remember, but I, the I, early I, stages, we're planning out the Game of Thrones. We're 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 really in the shadows. We're gauging people. We're doing the whole you know spider thing. Uh, we're, we're being very strategic here. Once we actually, you know, once you take the move to basically cut off the boss's head, that's when you mm-hmm. go public and you make the big demonstration, right? That's a rollout moment. But for now, that's you got to get the gold up. cloaks on your side. Yeah, that's right. a pull up. That's a pull that's out a pull moment. Up, you know but... the Addy. <laughs> Just kidding. That's um... right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, oh, God no, damn. But, but, yeah, but yeah, I think that's the move right now, right? It's just taking the temperature, getting to know people, like may building relationships. Um, yeah, and then we'll just kind of we'll you know slowly start moving in, start creeping in. Yeah, to people's plans slide into them DMs. <laughs> okay, well, thank you guys so much. I'm glad to be back. Oh, it's great to have you, Cynthia. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming. Talk soon. For sure. <sighs> well, we got one more, Rika. How you doing? You having fun? I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I'm I'm excited that, you know, I I, I love talking about this stuff. I love I really yeah. do. So it's, it's fucking it's awesome that you do. It's so great. Again, thank you so much. This is such a kick ass podcast everyone down in the chat show rika some love show rika some appreciation for taking the time to do this and coming up with the idea it's i mean really excellent stuff uh i am literally going to like i don't think i'm going to stop smiling if someone listens to this and then ends up organizing a union at some point how sick would that be totally totally uh, and again remember tomorrow we got a uh for everyone who's listening uh and who's listening later uh, tomorrow we're doing part two with the uh, actual election portion. So what happens once we get to the election? Uh, same time, same place. But for now, uh, I need you all to arise, if you will. I need everyone to arise. Because she's back, baby. Arise. Greatest danger. For each one, the urgent call for action comes forth. Arise! 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 Millions! With but one heart, braving the enemy's fire. March on! Braving the enemy's fire. March on! March on! Get the fuck up! Arise! Ladies and gentlemen, she's back. It's Shelly. Shelly, welcome back. Uh, welcome back to the show. Hello. Hello. Um, and I also just want to put some context. I know that song is not in but let's just talk about Okay. Arise. Which one? Arise.
Arise ye slaves, no more enthrall. The earth shall rise on new foundations. We have been not, but we shall be all. Fucking, I'm playing that shit back. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's fucking go. Come on, spit them lyrics. With our great flesh and blood, let us build our new great wall. Hell yeah. I'm into it. I'm yeah. into it. That might be the new theme song for the whole show. We'll see what happens. Oh, we'll see what happens. That's a good one. Uh, um, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. So, Cynthia, um, so I wasn't planning on, like, I wasn't meaning to, but just because Cynthia was talking, she's only been there like a month or so, freak, I think, of great advice. And I think the only thing that I might add is kind of look around and try to identify the people in your workplace that are sort of seen as the natural leaders. And those might be the targets that you, you kind of want to work on um, as far as maybe helping you to lead good that makes sense in the workplace is really important that's that's like a, certainly a part of and should be a part of the power mapping that you do 110 percent yes 110 percent good and then the other thing that rika i wanted to ask you so for example I, my hospital has a nurses union. I'm not a nurse. Um, so they organized their nurses union. Um, and what I would have to say is it is not a very militant union. It seems like most of the time their union is basically focused on nurse protection, sometimes to the detriment Mm -hmm. of other allied healthcare professionals. Sure. So how is it that you... So if you already have an existing union in like a large hospital or another large industry, sort of like Cynthia was talking about, the news department was organized, Mm -hmm. but not the other departments. Right. How is it that you can help turn a portion of your workplace industry that's already um, union organized into essentially more like an all workers union? Because an all workers union will have more sway and have more leverage over the bosses. Yeah, you, you're so how do we do? Right? I mean, ideally, you start with a wall to wall organizing campaign, right? Like, because it's really, really hard to incorporate people into a union to what we call agree people into a union, the employer has to agree to want to have a conversation about it. Usually those conversations come up during negotiations because that's when people bargain. You have to bargain over it. You have to expand the community of interest around it. So it's really hard. It is really, really hard to expand the union um, once you form it. So it's really, really should be done at the outset of forming a union. However, it's not impossible. And I think, you know, part of that would have to be having a conversation with the union leadership about how and and kind of you know you're gonna have to pitch it to them and their local um about why it would make sense to uh incorporate a certain group of people um excuse me i think it might be hard to join the nurses union if you are not a nurse because they tend to be focused on nurses only um but if you're like an other, there are other unions and there can be multiple unions that exist 
in one employer that represent different workers. I could told that like at the hospital I organized that there were like six different unions that represented different workers in everything from like AFSCME to the guild that represented the interpreters to uh, the nurses union to a union for the um, uh, what were they for the paramedics. So yeah, so I would say if you're one, if you're really hell bent on being a part of a union um, that already exists, then you know you're going to have to have conversations with that leadership about it. But I mean, my question for you would be: Would you really want to form a or join a union given that with that doesn't kind of embrace your values of militancy, or would you would you rather just start forming your own union with the workers that? you know, would fall under your own community of interest. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally get that. I, I think yeah. that my, the reason why I'm questioning that is because mm-hmm. I, yes, obviously, sure, if, if they're going to be all anti everyone else, why do we want to form one? But I think that that's because it's more about making the rank and file of that union more militant. Yeah. Um, so you, so basically it's, it's kind of like you're going viral with militancy. So I, I would be more concerned with having an impact on the nurses union and getting them yeah. sort of away from like the workers class consciousness that we would be attempting to build is, is I think. Yeah. I, under, I understand that temptation, but the reality is, is that the, the best way to make since, uh, help get other unions on board with being more militant is to you yourself in your union be be militant be more and, militant and get, right and get wins and get wins from it right? yeah like, i mean you know. the amazon labor union is a great That's example right chris smalls show, he he you show the decides method through actual practice like you are that's right more gain that's right and then the other unions see that and they go well what did you do okay that's right. And, 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 and again, just for those who don't know or those who are listening later, with Chris Smalls, he had the opportunity to try to join in with another union when he really started the Amazon labor union movement. He instead chose to form a separate union, uh, ground up, and that allowed them to have that more militant stance and to um, sort of avoid some of the bureaucratic, uh, you know, kind of bullshit that you could get with more established unions uh, who, and again, this is something we haven't really talked about, Rika, but maybe we'll get into it in the next episode. Uh, forming, again, one of the reasons, too, why it's important to have this mentality of run it through the finish line, uh, negotiate the contract, you're not done when you form the union, is that uh, there are a lot of savvy politicians and a lot of savvy capitalists out there who are able to uh, get certain unions to get in bed with them. Uh to there, there is institutional capture in the same way that there is in politics. There's institutional capture that happens with big established unions. And maybe one day we'll do another episode on, okay, so how do you confront that? Um, but I, I agree that forming your own union sometimes um, might be the way, really the way to go if you want to embrace those more militant values. Yeah. Yeah. I, can I just add real quick? I and I and I don't disagree with uh, anything you've said, by it, uh, and what, but I want to clarify: uh, they formed an independent union, 
which is just a word to say that like they're not an established they're not from a bigger established union right and there are cons to doing that that need to be weighed significantly um, one of them being just really a lack of resources to support your organizing campaign um, in in terms of having staff to help you guide you through this process you have to do a lot of education on your own to kind of get get hip to it um further if there are if there is anything legal stuff that comes up well y'all are passing the hat to pay for that attorney so you know it's it's it is something that i think should be shouldn't be out of the question uh you all have to decide in terms of your workplace what works best for you um but i think you know there are benefits to actually working with established unions and all not all established unions are created equal um, not all locals are created equal either so it's important to do your due diligence around like who you know the actual union you want to work with okay great great advice um and then i think the last question that i have along this line and then i want to kind of i kind of want to broaden the conversation just a little bit after this but so you were kind of talking about like the hospital that you would organize there were like six different unions mm-hmm. um is there in your experience, is it easier to form sort of like the more craft unions where you're working on your own, you know, like trade or your own sort of job? Is it easier to form those individually and then hopefully combine them later or? And then it is to like a, like a sector because like Schnarf had kind of mentioned that mm-hmm. sort of in the chat, like eventually is the goal to go to more of like the sector of industry. Yeah, this is a good, this is such a good question. I, you know, I, so people who want to organize on a sectoral base or like a sector basis, the people who are really doing that and pushing for that are kind of like the bigger unions that are out there. Like they're looking because they have a strategy in mind of how to, like if they get X percentage of X sector organized then they'll be able to have this pressure to pass x legislation right like or whatever it is right so that's that's just i think important there's like that high level of that conversation where that kind of happens on some level um but in terms of what's better what's not which which should you go with first or you know whenever whenever i was organizing on a campaign we you want as many people as possible in the same union that makes sense for your community of interest because that the your union power comes from your y'all withholding your labor and the more people you have threatening to withhold your labor at some point the more Mm -hmm. power you're going to have right and the less conversation the more organized you can be too right so if you're all under one umbrella um you you can probably move a little bit more quickly and have more conversations rather than having to wait to go to X leader of X union. Now it's not to say that that it's impossible impossible to move fast um, with you know six different unions at a hospital. Uh, I I think in my experience uh, the reason why people the reason why workers chose to form their own union around their like a particular understanding of what the community of interest should be was because they wanted to make sure 
that their issues weren't subsumed under uh, another groups, right? So that when you have, when you get really, really big unions, right? With multiple job categories and across multiple departments, right? The ones that are, their issues that tend to be prioritized are the ones with the biggest numbers behind them. So I'm just gonna make this up. Let's say you're part of an AFSCME union that represents pretty much everything else at the hospital aside from nurses, right? From all the, all the techs, right? So the, 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 per, the group of people who are gonna have their issues you've more than likely prioritized when it comes to negotiations or whatever are the ones who have, who are the most, the most plentiful in that union. So the interpreters um, at Hennepin Healthcare, they really wanted to ha have their own issues heard and so really fought to have their own union created and went with a different union. So I think that's just like a really important, um, and you might get pushed back along that too, because if there's another union that's already established in there and their community of interest is broad enough, they might be like, actually y'all fall under our jurisdiction. So you should be a part of us and they may try to recruit you. So I think it's just something that in the beginning, you really wanna start off going as big and as broad as possible according to how you want to define your community of interest in terms of like which one's better which one's not it really comes down to what you all as a as a union think is within your interest i really can't say um uh one's one's particularly better than the other at some point though everyone's got to work together regardless right um all the unions you know when we were working at the hospital we had union coalition meetings and we were all working together supporting each other, talking about who was getting what during the, their contract negotiations, who was shooting for what, um, you know, asking support around certain issue campaigns we were running, right? Like, so at some point, you're all going to have to work together. The question is, is just about what, like, you know, what's going to float your, what, what, which flavor do you want, <laughs> so to speak, yeah. right, to encounter with that? Yeah. I, I have nothing to add. That's perfect. Oh, Okay. Well, yeah, no, I, I do think that that's good advice. Always cast your net as broadly as possible, but you eventually have to reel the net in and what you catch is what you catch. That's right. That's okay. right. Well, that's the, the, the reality is too, is, is that the employer, when you're starting off organizing and you get to, and we'll talk about this in the election piece, but the employer is going to try to whittle away people mm -hmm. from your bargaining unit. And so that's the other reason why it's important to go as, as wide as possible because their employer's gonna come and say, well, actually these people don't belong and these people don't belong and this is really what the unit should look like and all this other stuff, so. Yeah, no, I agree. And then I wanted to kind of push back on some of the things that I think, you know, you guys kind of talked about way early in the conversation. Like Bide, you'd said, sorry if you're a farmer, you know, sorry if you're a gig worker. And so I think, um, yes, I agree. Legally, those groups are not really able to form unions, but also we're talking about organizing. So I, th and I don't think that you guys would disagree with me. There isn't, there aren't any laws that are stopping farmers from joining into like community organizations. It doesn't have to be necessarily a legal union but that is the point of community organizations. If you're not legally represented, you still organize, still get with your local farmers, talk about the needs that you guys have, get with your fellow gig workers. I know I've seen y'all, 
y'all wait in restaurants for orders and you sit at the same table with each other. Like, talk about your working conditions, talk about having a meeting outside of work, organize in whatever extra legal fashion that you possibly can. And then I guess the fight would be for those community organizations is work for broader unionization. That would be the fight is that you would try to uh, advance the laws about making your community organization an actual legal union. Yeah, I, I, I don't actually think take your comment as a pushback. We, we actually had said at the outset, I, I had made the comment after we talked about that, that yeah, just because you can't legally form a union doesn't mean you can't organize though. And, and even in my experience, I worked with independent uh, contractor, and I kind of outlined how we worked with independent contractors that right. were, were interpreters that worked for the judicial system to form a co-op and to organize broadly and collectively. So I think I you're you're just want to say emphasize one hundred percent agree, Shelley. Everyone everyone has the right to organize. Period and point blank. Uh, it's just when we're talking about forming a union specifically that the uh, uh, like. Unfortunately, our shitty laws in this country prevent people who are technically, quote unquote, you know, those independent contractors from forming a union because it's, it would be considered a, a trust. Right. <laughs> you know, that's right. So, so that's, we're, that's we're, we're talking. I agree with that, too. Look, organize, organize, organize. I don't care where you work. I don't care if you're covered by the act or not. Uh, you right. organize. That being said, the act itself will not apply. Um, and when I say the act, the National Labor Relations Act specifically exempts agricultural workers. So if you're looking for the protections that that act allows you, uh, they're not there for you as an agricultural employee. Again, that doesn't mean don't organize, but it does mean uh, you're not going to be able to hold up certain things in court and have legal protection for them uh, from that act. There may be other legal protections that you can have uh, from other acts or just from, you know, being a human being. But um, that's that's all I meant by by saying that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I figured and I, th that's what I meant by just I was wanting to have like a broader conversation about it, not necessarily like mm. pushback. Yeah, yeah. Is, is it's just because it's kind of like what Rika, you were sort of talking about as far as like you know, you can go to local organizations and get support from them and stuff like that. And that is like a mutually reinforcing position mm -hmm. of what are considered legal unions. So if you have these organizations, these community organizations that can't technically legally form a union, if they're organized on a local level around that and they're fighting for a change in the laws, then the unions, local unions need to show up for those community organizations and vice versa. 100%. Whenever 100%. you're doing a union drive, you know that you can go to those community organizations. So yes, even though we're sitting here and saying, sorry, the laws don't apply about you having a legal union, we have absolutely have to stress the fact that you must have community organizations and we will help you fight the legal battle for you to gain union legality if you will fight for us right. to, to have a union. And I think, right. I think that that's sort of like the community solidarity that, you know, people sometimes forget about how flexible the masses can be. Right. Now we can do a lot of stuff on the margins 
and then pool that power when necessary. 100, 100%. And in my experience, what, what, like when I was in Minneapolis, one of, uh, there's a worker center there to actually work with people who can't form unions, right? And, and, and an organization that's created for those workers specifically. So like 100%, we, I think the, rea- the, the reality is, is the laws don't stop people from organizing and we will continue to organize regardless. But my thing is, is that I think we, the, the thing that I would stress just in terms of like a how, a how to piece, right? Is that everything, you know, you want a structure, right? You, when you're organizing, you, there are a lot of people who debate this, um, you know, around like theories of how to organize. Um, and I personally, you know, believe that you want, when you're organizing, you want to create some type of organization that can, you know, stand and withstand and build group membership and, allow for you to communicate with that membership and uh, do base building is what we call it. Um, so that way it's, it, you have people to turn to and there's a thing for people to turn to versus where like a lot of people will do organizing projects and form committees that may just like kind of fizzle in and out and collapse a little bit. Right. So, right. Yeah. yeah. And also Rika, how dare you want to organize with an organization <laughs> it is completely inexcusable. Um, no, that makes a lot of sense. All of that makes a lot of That's sense to me. But uh, we've been going now two, two and a half hours. And I know, Rika, that we also have you tomorrow for another session. So I don't want to take up too much of your time. And also, I do have to pee again, people. So, uh, Oh, my God. Your bathroom breaks are really impacting my night. <laughs> Look, I, <laughs> I'm sorry. I should have held my pee your, for like, the good of the people. Sun-cursed bag out. That's, That's right. <laughs> yeah. I'll just sit here and never pee again, just for to do my part. Yeah, get those, get those, get those sun <laughs> Damn it! Oh God. Well, no, guys, this was this was a really, really, really good conversation. I'm really glad that you two were having it, and that, and that you're having a follow up. And uh, it kind of reminds me of like a recent uh, meeting that I had with like my party where they talked about like how to distribute sort of like your, you know, like your, your pamphlets and, and all that other type of stuff. And it, it was outlined very much the same way, you know, like kind of what you emphasized is, you know, realize what's going on around you, what's going to work for your local conditions, and then figure out how it is that you communicate to like your local group and then build from there you know it's like you got agitation education and then sort of like outright action and so you have to figure out where it is that you are in that space and time and so this just like having this conversation to follow that up is really crystallizes a lot of like just the basic concepts like you first got to take stock do your power mapping do all of your analysis and then you move but you have to analyze first. And you can't analyze without anal, baby. <laughs> yes. Thanks, bye, for ending this on an intellectual note. <laughs> Rika, did you have anything, any other uh, final words to say for, for tonight's episode? No, this has been great. Thanks, bye, for hosting this conversation. And thanks, folks, for calling in. I can't wait to wrap up the next part two tomorrow with y'all 
I I feel the same way. I, the I'm ideological f- sun chips of the leftist movement. <laughs> That's uh, look. They grow on you. They grow on you over time. You know. <laughs> you may not like them as a kid, but when you're an adult, you're like, you know what? I appreciate these. I really do appreciate these. It's because so. your hearing's. It's because you've gotten older and your hearing's lessened, so you just don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, right, I super great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for calling in, Shelley. Uh, everyone, we'll be here tomorrow, uh, same time, same place. We will take you from the uh, the organization point of uh, what happens when you get to the election, what to do when you're at that stage, and then uh, what happens after that. But uh, Thank you so much, all of you, for joining us tonight. I love seeing those familiar faces down in chat. See you, Amanda. I see you, July. Shelly and Red. Hey, Red, I don't know if you've come here before, but welcome. And Charlie, of course. Uh, Really excited for part two. I I think this went really great. Thank you again, Rika. And we'll see you all tomorrow. Same time, same place. Take care.